0: Welcome to the Cane and Rinse Podcast, Volume 3, Issue 142. This is the Snatcher Show. Before we get tucked into that particular game, I'd like to invite you to play along with Cane and Rinse Volume 3. Our next five issues are Viva Pinata, Trouble in Paradise, uh, The Last of Us, including the remastered edition, Gunpoint, then Brutal Legend, and Team Fortress 2. Uh, you can head to canonrinse.com for the full schedule, which currently runs up to issue one hundred and fifty one, I believe. Uh, there are also there blog uh, blog articles, links to merchandise stall, Facebook, Google Plus, YouTube. Uh, the forum is there, so do get onto our forum and engage with us and uh, and many many other fantastic people in the Rinse community. Um, it would be wonderful if you would subscribe and. Also, review and rate us on iTunes. It helps us out massively. It gets a lot of extra people just to be aware that that we are there and uh, we exist. So, particularly uh, reviews and ratings are fantastic. Joining me, I am James Carter in this particular issue. And um, I have heard rumors he has an underground medical facility in his basement. Sean O'Brien.
1: <laughs> the name's Gillian Mika, and you can call me Gillian.
0: <laughs> Um, his pizza floats every single time. Without fail, Carl Moon. (laughs) Hey, guys. And last but not least, exercising special privileges and our very special guest, the managing editor at GameCritics.com, Brad Galloway. Huh? 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 Achoo! There must be some Snow (laughs) 9 in here. (laughs) (laughs) All right, folks, uh... We're not going to get tucked into uh, plots yet, just yet, but I want to give out a spoiler warning. Uh, this game, probably in the region of six to seven hours, is incredibly narrative-focused, so we're going to be no holds barred on that. We're going to tuck into uh, anything and everything from moment one. So uh, if you intend to play the game, if you'd like to play the game before uh, listening to the rest of this, hit the pause button, go away, come back, enjoy yourself, and uh, we will hopefully entertain thereafter. So, folks, uh, Snatcher, it's a bit of a weird one. I've heard about this game years and years and years, never, ever played it. There are multiple reasons for that, which we're about to tuck into in, in <laughs> no small way. Um, it is a game by Konami, uh, directed and uh, created by Hideo Kojima. Uh, depending upon which version you happen to be playing, his credit may change. Um, and is out on various platforms, um, not many of them are particularly well-known or readily available platforms. Um, only one of them uh, is actually in English, which makes it a little tricky uh, for those of us who, who don't uh, speak Japanese. Um, it first came out in 1988, and this was kind of... Well, it was it was very much around the time of the original two Metal Gear games, um, and obviously Hideo Kojima heavily involved with those and with this. Um Before we get on to to how we played this game or when we played this game, I guess, I just wanted to open up and ask uh, you guys about when you first heard about this game game and how it came to your attention because it's not necessarily an obvious one to to know about uh it, it having been released in japan some four years before it came out uh no six years before it came out uh over in in the us and, and uk
2: uh
0: after i first heard
2: about snatcher back when i was uh, reading magazines surrounding the release of metal gear solid um, right. which would have been around 1997 through till 1998 when it got a lot of coverage uh, mm, yeah. in, in the magazines and it was mainly journalists that were probably more well equipped to, to play Snatcher back when it came out given it's very limited release at least in the mm. West who were comparing many features or sort of what you would know as probably Kojima traits now um, from Metal Gear Solid that actually originally appeared in Snatcher mm. um, and, and, and then sort the, the top sort of went a bit quiet in the ma- in the magazines i mean it's always been a bit of a, a cultural classic um in regards to what it was but the the talk started coming back around again on websites that i was reading probably around the early 2000s um and that's when i had more of an interest in playing it uh, yeah. but originally i heard about it late 90s and then obviously it piqued my interest again hearing about it in the early 2000s
0: cool no Brad and Sean, obviously you're from the other side of the proverbial pond to myself and Carl. Mm. D- do you guys get the feeling that uh, there was that snatcher was more or less well known? Um, certainly for me, it's a game that I heard about only in, conge- in, in connection to Hideo Kojima and obviously reading about Metal Gear Solid, just like Carl. But for you guys, was there any different uh, exposure to this in the first instance?
3: Um, as for me, I, did, I didn't know anything about it. Uh, I heard about mm. it much earlier. In fact, I mean, if my memory serves. I thought it came out in the States in 94. Um, Yeah. Yeah, okay, so that sounds about right. No, at that time, um, I wasn't really plugged into, like, journalist circles, and I wasn't really writing about games or anything like that. I mean, I was only one year out of high school at the time. Hmm. Um, And the only way I had heard about it was I was going to my local rental shop, you know, back when there still were video stores Mm -hmm. that you would physically go to to get a physical Hmm. copy of a movie. Um, I saw it on the shelf, and I knew a friend of mine at school had a Sega CD, uh, he was the only person I knew uh, out of the entire high school who had one, uh, and you know he was looking for games to rent. I had a couple bucks, and I'm like, "Well, what the hell is this? This is weird. It looks like <laughs> like a dude with a trench coat. It looks kind of, I don't know, sci-fi. Okay, sure, let's give it a try."
0: Interesting. That's
1: so weird. Like my my, my story is pretty much exactly the same, although I was about I don't know twelve thirteen. I guess I was walking in the rental store, and yeah, I saw that cover, and I was like, ah. Yeah. I'll try it out. I, I actually did have a Sega C D for some reason. <laughs> I don't honestly for know what this game, but I did have one. You know, you Basically that's sense. why I still keep yeah, it. Yeah, I still yeah. got it and I still got the my copy of the game, yeah. But um yeah, I just saw that cover and I was like, Ah, oh, this looks interesting and I, I already knew about Blade Runner. My dad showed it to me even though I was that young. And um yeah, so I was psyched about it.
0: Excellent. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty striking cover, I've got to say. Um, simple, but uh, but yeah, pretty effective. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess that also covers how you guys first came to, to play the game, both of you on Sega CD originally, sort of mm-hmm. around the time of release, um, just stumbled onto it. That's really, uh, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, we may as well wrap up then. Uh, I'll get myself out of the way rather quickly because I know about this game because of Hideo Kojima and uh, and obviously the Metal Gear series. Um, see our shows on, on that particular series um, for, for my feelings about his other works. Um, and that's the reason I know about Snatcher because when people talked about him, it was almost always Metal Gear, but occasionally someone would throw in a Police Knots or a Snatcher reference just mm. to, I, I guess show that they knew a bit more about him than, than was, was uh, <laughs> average. Um, and I literally played this uh, this week was, was when I played it. I'd always been interested to go back to it, but as with many games, it's not until it, we're going to cover it on the podcast that I really pull my finger out and and get on with it. Um, so, Carl, mm-hmm. how about you? How did you end up actually playing uh, Snatcher? I started playing
2: it last year originally mm-hmm. on an Android emulator uh, right, well. as, as a way to sort of play it on the on the move, you know, mm. some people want to use the 3DS, others want to use the Vita, and I wanted to use my phone to play some classic games, mm. uh, and it worked originally. But you know, as as I'm sure you guys remember or you have experienced, it doesn't necessarily lend itself to playing particularly well in some sections on a phone. Mm. So <laughs> that that wrapped up rather quickly, and I sort of put it to one side until. Hopefully, we were going to do a podcast on it. It had been on the list a long time. It's something that I was interested in talking about, and eventually, when it got on the list, I decided that I was going to play it properly. Um, so, unfortunately, not having access to a Sega CD, because those things are both relics and incredibly rare, that um, <laughs> I've only ever seen one in the flesh, and that was in a game store behind a plastic case when they were sort of available. And other than that, mm. I've never ever had hands-on time with one on no one i knew ever owned one yeah. um I, the you know it wasn't the most successful machine anyway um let alone in the uk where you know sega didn't really have that domination that that we always hear about with the, mm. the genesis in in north america so i was never actually able to play it on its original system um the way it was I guess the way it was intended, you know, it it, it was later released on the PlayStation and the Saturn, but only in Japan. And that's a shame because it would have been a lot easier to play on one of those two systems. Um, So for me, it was a PC emulator um, playing the uh, Sega CD version because I don't, unfortunately don't speak Japanese. So I was kind of limited to, you know, the one English release this game's ever had.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's very much Hobson's choice for, for English speakers uh, and for anyone Mm. who isn't a Japanese speaker. Um, which leads us deftly, thank you, Carl, onto the various versions that are available. Um, I mentioned the original game was 1988. Uh, that was. I guess, in my mind at least, I suppose this is true, um, these are the Japanese equivalents of the sort of uh, home computers that in the UK we would think of as Commodore 64, um, Amigas, and, and ZX Spectrums and the like. Uh, so the the systems that Snatcher first came out on were the PC-8801 and the MSX2. Uh, in both cases, they were on floppy disks on those systems, um, five and a quarter five five and a quarter uh, inch floppy disks on the pc 8801 and three three and a half inch floppy disks with uh, an extra sound cartridge for the MSX2 which um, plugged into the the msX 2 and and had a Konami sound chip on board just to provide some extra obviously power to the to the audio which if it's anything like it sounds on the Sega CD uh, version was undoubtedly more than worth it Um at that point there were only two acts and there was kind of this halfway resolution. There is a resolution at the end of Act 2 but it doesn't wrap up the whole story so that was what was ready at the time Um, and it led to um, Hideo Kojima directing the the turbo, TurboGrafx 16 remake in uh, between then and 1992 when it came out uh, which overhauled graphics and audio added voice acting for some of the the lines but not all um, and added in act 3 although i believe it wasn't interactive at that point the interactivity was added later for the Sega CD version um so it was it was basically um <laughs> as unfortunately has become uh, synonymous with the okajima uh, it was a little bit of a sort of uh, cutscene marathon through the uh, through the end <laughs> of the game um, that th- those are the ways you could originally play the game before uh it came to any any non japanese speaking um versions uh by nineteen ninety four there was a sega c d version which changed quite a lot of the game. Um, it was basically the TurboGrafx-16 version, um, so there was an English translation done by Scott T. Hards, which was supervised by Jeremy Blaustein, who uh, is most well-known as as the Metal Gear Solid translator, uh, certainly in in early days, I believe. Um, it added Justifier light gun support, which I, I can imagine working for the shooting sections, actually there were intro cutscene extensions to include some of the stuff that was in the manual originally um and the ending was extended to include some of the characters that uh, gillian had met through his adventure uh, and they also added in the act 3 sort of interactivity to make it uh, a bit more like the rest of the game um they had to shift a bunch of the dates in the game because the original event that kind of sets off the 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 game story uh, took place in 1991 in the original game and that obviously had passed by the time <laughs> it came to the Sega CD version so they pushed all the dates five years um, which now means it's still obviously the catastrophe which is the incident uh, would have still happened in the past now but at the time at least it was still in the future then they changed some things about a couple of characters in particular they removed some uh, nudity surrounding uh, a couple of characters and uh not unsurprisingly change the age of one of the characters from 14 (laughs) to 18 uh, just to kind of... a, a, avoid creepy. some of the connotations that there would be in the West I think with To, to make it less creepy yeah. than a 32 year old man hitting on an 18 year old than a 32 year old man hitting on a 14 year old I, I think we can all agree it is less creepy but yeah, yeah, yeah. There's Not, still by, much, still Not by much yeah. <laughs> and, and there were there were some other things that were that were changed uh, there's, um, there's actually some really good details in some of the scenes in the game where they do have just slight movement in what is otherwise a still image just to draw your attention to say an emotion a character's feeling or in the case of uh, a dead dog where the innards are kind of twitching to show that they're, you know, rigor mortis is setting and they're still kind of moving a little bit which is obviously quite disturbing and so that was removed from the western release just to kind of tone down the more gruesome Mm. side, although it's still pretty gruesome I've got to say. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, And to avoid some potential litigation stuff, uh, the Outer Heaven uh, nightclub, uh, our first Metal Gear reference there um, some of the patrons in there were parodies of sci-fi famous sci-fi characters from films and the like and the, they were changed to Konami characters which is actually pretty funny i've it's got kind to say cooler, it's yeah, yeah it's really cool <laughs> it's and, probably the coolest <laughs> bit in the time. yeah yeah it's really cool um and uh, yeah one of the the obvious uh, references in the game uh, are the fact that the the titular snatchers um look quite a lot like the terminator exoskeletons um and they made some changes did they I can't say I've ever noticed. <laughs> <laughs> and they, well, they made some changes, so they're a lot more green. There's green aspects to the body, and the eyes are green in the in the uh, Western release on Sega CD, just to kind of remove potential issues there. It, it doesn't do much, to be honest. No. You can almost imagine them, can't you? They'll never realise with <laughs> green <laughs> eyes. If anyone is colourblind, it makes no difference if they're red-green colourblind, at least. So. And again, some, some names were changed to avoid. Uh, Plato's Cavern in the game was actually originally called Joy Division. Oh, um, man. Which, which they removed. I, I think... I, I don't mind the name Plato's Cavern, but Joy Division I, I love as, as the name of anything, yeah. frankly, <laughs> including the, the band. So I'd have been happy with that. But uh, yeah, just a, a bunch of changes. Uh, as, as as was kind of common at the time, uh, I immediately think of like Street Fighter II and some of the changes that mm. happened there to avoid similar things. So, um so all of those changes had to take place for the Sega CD version um, and as I understand it any subsequent versions uh, which uh, as Carl's already mentioned uh, PlayStation and Sega Saturn versions in Japan um, were were ports of the Sega CD TurboGrafx-16 version so with all the extra stuff added in um, for that but all were Japanese so as I mentioned that leaves us with technically only one way to play this game which is to have a Sega CD and a copy of the game it's worth pointing out right now. Usually, uh, certainly uh, Darren Gargett, when he does some of his quick rinse videos for, for various games, he will capture footage from the emulated version of a game he otherwise owns, but is obviously, if it's on an old system, say N64, Super Nintendo, whatever, uh, it's quite difficult to capture footage from without some potentially quite expensive equipment, so it's easier to capture from the emulated version. And we usually are quite clear that that game is owned otherwise. In this case... I don't know about uh, in America, uh, Sean, uh, Brad. You might be able to help me out, but over here, s- copies of Snatcher, notwithstanding the fact you would have to have a Sega CD, um, copies of the game are anywhere from about 150 to 200 pounds on eBay. Oh, wow, uh, that that's around the 250, maybe up as far as about 300 dollar mark as far as US dollars go. So huh. I need to get on eBay. Yeah, then. that
3: sounds about right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a collector's item for sure. Yeah. And you can find copies of the Japanese versions. I've seen them pretty often. Yeah. If you go to retro game shows, but to get the actual English Sega C D version,
0: quite, quite rare. Yeah. Yeah. Um apparently sales of the game were pretty bad on the sega cd version possibly because the sega cd hadn't sold terribly well possibly because the game just didn't quite get out there but i think it's fairly telling that there are i mean i'm pretty sure that all 10 owners of a sega cd actually <laughs> owned this game. yeah the attack rate was great but the sales weren't, weren't quite so good um so yeah it's worth saying where where there's kind of five different places you can play this if you're if, if you're if you speak Japanese or are obviously in Japan with with the relevant consoles, there's only one, uh, and it didn't particularly sell terribly well, and I think that's probably the reason it wasn't re-released. PlayStation would have been a great place to have this game, Mm -hmm. especially given that Metal Gear Solid ended up there, (laughs) so that would have been a chance for everyone to go back and play that. But uh, unfortunately, it wasn't to be, which means that uh, I need to hold my hands up. Carl, you've already mentioned yourself. Um, I played this emulated. I have never owned a copy of the game. I can apologize, obviously, to anyone that that, uh, that is troublesome for. If there was a, a, a way to purchase this, if there was a way to get money to the people who, Konami, who own Snatcher and rights to it, I would have done so. Mm-hmm. But in this case, uh, I want to make it clear that I did play an emulated version. And, um, yeah, as I say, apologies if that concerns anyone. Um I, I wish there was another way to play this yeah, game. It's kind of weird. I really,
1: really do. It's kind of weird how there, yeah. there's never been any kind of late ports, like from Konami. Yeah. Konami could be able to do it just easily, but all right, maybe there's some rights issues. I don't know. But it just seems like it's just people mm. know about it now. Especially, more, I would imagine more people know about it now than they did back then. So, yeah, think mm. it, it's it's a
2: it's a strange thing as well because obviously they could they would remaster the graphics mm. as, as far as they need remastering, but. There's, there's something like the Nintendo uh, 3DS would be such an ideal yeah. format for it for the way that the game's laid out as yeah, well but yeah. it's kind of surprising that that we've not actually yeah. seen anything because this is a, a real yeah, cult sure. classic because yeah. obviously there's a lot of fans of Hideo Kojima's yeah. work and this is one that's certainly helped cement his legacy that people like to talk about mm-hmm. and uh, you know you, you obviously get the certain crowd that like to say oh yes well I've played <laughs> Snatcher and yeah. you know you, you, you we all know there are those people but it's a game that could absolutely you know, be, be sold, at least on, on digital content, and, and playing through it was surprising because obviously there's a, there's a great separation between the top of the screen where the, the pictures or the, the footage yeah, yeah. is, and, and, and the bottom of the screen where you input your answers, because essentially it's a, it's a text scrolling yeah. adventure, yeah, yeah. but it also has video playing on the bottom, that a 3DS yeah. is absolutely yeah, ideal yeah. for it, so it's a shame that we've not seen
0: one. And and let's face it, those shooting sections would be a doddle <laughs> with a stylus. it yeah. <laughs> would be oh, too yeah. easy, almost. Well, no, not even almost. They would be too easy. Yeah. Um, but uh, but obviously, it could still be D-pad if you wanted to make it more difficult. But um, yeah, it, it's it does seem bizarre to me, especially as they managed to produce a PlayStation version yeah. that would play on PS3s nowadays. There are plenty of PlayStation titles. Um, I, I guess. The poor sales just haven't inspired them to to do that i I do wonder obviously Metal Gear and Metal Gear Two uh ended up on the Metal Gear Solid collection as they they were em, they were the emulation emulated roms uh of those games pretty much untouched um i that would seem a logical thing to throw in as an extra on something obviously there's no snatcher series to put it on with but um yeah, the ROM emulation works. Are you, are you trying to hint at Mr. Kojima to bang it onto
2: Metal Gear Solid Five: The Phantom Pain? Is that <laughs> yeah, is that what you're yeah, getting absolutely at? Absolutely, start of
0: the game, walk over into your garage to an arcade cabinet and just fire up <laughs> Snatcher. Yeah, why not? In all honesty, the emulation can't be that taxing that it shouldn't happen just anywhere.
1: Yeah, you
2: know, it, it, there's there's one thing that did make me laugh, and it's, it's sort of relevant to, to Snatcher, but it's it's more to do with the release date. Obviously, it was originally released in 1988, mm-hmm. and it was re-released in 1994 on the Sega CD in a remastered version. And it's all the criticism that we currently have about remastered <laughs> games on between PlayStation 3 and PlayStation 4, and yep. Kojima was doing it 20 years ago, <laughs> yep. releasing mm-hmm. a fully graphical remastering
0: um, on on a new system. Yep. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an opportune moment to say, uh, in the Sega CD version, uh, Hideo Kojima is listed as creator, uh, and Yoshinori Sasaki is listed as the actual director on this game. Um, and we also have the legendary and my favourite video game composer, Akira Yamaoka. Yeah,
2: uh, weird. Put down as the lead composer in the Mega CD version.
0: Uh, yeah, although uh, the um, the the main credits for music and sound go to Konami here I apologize if that's not pronounced correctly club um but yeah he was uh, probably, yeah, not. <laughs> pro- <quite laughs> probably not quite uh, probably not but this was obviously pre uh, pre silent hill um yeah
2: it, it his name actually isn't in the no, credits no. um in the earlier releases but it did appear in the uh the, the Sega CD yeah. version. And obviously he was kind of a big deal amongst mm, Konami. Yeah. He, he, he did this and later went on to go and do Silent Hill after proclaiming himself the only person at Konami capable of creating that soundtrack. So he's, yeah. he's, a, he's a confident man, but he... Um, I, I'm not going know, to I'm, disagree I, I with I him, to be honest. I, I can't really, you know differentiate the differences that we have between the releases of snatcher but what was on the mega cd version was
0: quite impressive yeah well and we'll get on to later in 2011 he came back to do the music for the um the radio plays as well um so got kind of an all-star group there together again showing the the at least the the cult interest mm-hmm. and the creative interest that there is uh, amongst people who are involved with it and have, who have played it um, in continuing the Snatcher uh, story and, and legacy, but not in terms of releasing versions of the game. Konami, please <laughs> help me. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, so it's led to be, be being a very niche title, but it's not the only reason it's considered a bit of a cult classic or a niche title. Um The way this game looks, feels, sounds, the aesthetic of it is just, it's ripe for it being a genre piece. It is a genre piece. Um, Some of the influences I spot, I mean, obviously this is a sci-fi and cyberpunk particularly inspired game. We've already mentioned Terminator Blade Runner seems like the most ludicrously obvious (laughs) um, comparison to make, Um, but it's also a noir story, much like Blade Runner was, Mm -hmm. Uh, so stuff like Chinatown comes to mind. Um, uh, What about you guys? Is there anything in particular? Games, I, I... struggle because in 1988 i can't think of many games that had done stuff that a lot of games have done since then uh before so i can't i can't really count anything that came after obviously as an influence but is there anything that you guys can think of games films or otherwise that that particularly fired your imagination uh
3: as as for me i didn't even have a computer until i was i think probably 16 or 17 Mm -hmm. so i totally missed a lot of those um PC titles that may have been yeah. an influence I mean obviously the film things I, I picked up on right away but I mean to kind of give some perspective when this game came out for me in 94 um, other things that were out at that time we had um, Darkstalkers and Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo mm-hmm. which I was really into the fighting scene at that time Earthworm Jim Donkey Kong Country I mean Stalk- I mean, a Snatcher stood head and shoulders above all those other things i was playing at the time was probably one reason why it was so notable for me even though i wasn't really keyed into the whole kojima connection or anything like that (laughs) um and i just remember just really with all of the the character and the voices and everything it just seemed like such a unique game so at that time i didn't really pick up on any other influences it was a singular experience compared to what else i was playing in those days
0: yeah that's interesting um I am sure Leon is listening to this currently shouting a list of about 30 games he played before this that, that this maybe could be related to. But um, obviously, the, I played uh, adventure games, text adventure games on, say, the old uh, BBC Micro, um, the the kind of free text ones where you had to just type in commands and it wasn't necessarily picking from a list. Yeah. Um, we'll come on to some of, of that kind of stuff because I think there's some interesting things that this does uh, in regards to mechanics. But in terms of aesthetic influence... Um, Obviously, uh, Metal Gear has has been compared to various films, not just in terms of tone and story, but in terms of direct references and homages that that are made within those games and this one to particularly science fiction um, and action uh, films and stories. Um, And and it's exactly the same here. Um, One... one uh, aspect of the legacy of this game that, that struck me uh, is Cowboy Bebop um, not for the, the kind of so much the tonal and narrative aspects but uh, that kind of jazz infused soundtrack mm. and that the characters who have this sa- kind of self-mocking slightly sardonic edge mm-hmm. to them um, there's a lot of that going on here and I, I know for Cowboy Bebop a lot of that came from uh, Lupin the Third um, which most people might know uh, as um Hayao Miyazaki uh, did before he was part of Studio Ghibli did a film called Castle of Cagliostro which uh, was, was a Lupin uh, the Third uh, adaptation which is this really kind of wacky fun um, and exactly the sort of style you'd expect uh, kind of fantasy um, anime story um, about a princess trapped in a castle and the the kind of putts who comes to rescuer is about the only way i can describe it um but it has a lot of those kind of fun uh, overtones and, and kind of jazz soundtrack um really quite uh, striking uh, tones and i didn't see necessarily see a lot of it in in snatcher but some things really reminded me of it in terms of yeah soundtrack and and just some of the some of the lines characters make it may be kind of a translation thing but they they almost seem awkwardly humorous in that kind of similar way so hmm. um i i Pop those down as I'm not sure they were influences at all, but it it certainly gave me some of the similar feelings um, as as uh, as as those things did. So
2: I mean, there's a certain charm to the game um, yeah. that the, the, it's you can sort of see why people loved the game as much as they did because this is came at what 19. 19- Eighty-eight, yeah. where we, you know, we'd had legendary text adventures like Zork is an obvious example, and you know, we'd, we'd had stuff like sure, Miniac yeah. Mansion and t- titles like that. And th- this followed a very similar theory, but you didn't have text entry anymore. You had you had the option, similar to you know, games that were played like Monkey Island, but this used the mechanics more in line with the classic uh, text adventures, yeah. uh, where it wouldn't necessarily hold your hand, you would get hints through the game, but even those would be quite open-ended or not very clear and then there are some options where, say, you would you would go and knock on a door, because you, you, normally as with something like uh, Monkey Island every, you have this thing where you choose every option and eventually one of them is going to progress you to the next yeah. menu, where yeah. again you press every option until you sort of learn that there, w- there was a tree to go through and in, in this it follows something sort of similar But there'll be um, a moment where you, say, knock on a a door of someone that you want to go and and investigate, and there'll be nothing. And you'll be like, well, okay, I've tried the knock, but you've actually got to knock three times. It just won't tell you to (laughs) knock three times. Um, Or there'll be, you'll have to look at an area a certain amount of times, and there may be six options Uh, where you would have three options for look and three options for investigate. Why they're in two separate menus, I don't entirely know, because they sort of run the same way. (laughs) And then you would look at all three, and then you would investigate all three, but you actually have to look or investigate seven to progress to the next menu. So you actually have to double up on one of the options. And it never makes it clear in the menu because the menu never changes. It always looks the same. And eventually when you progress it, will add another menu option in there. But the progression is not clearly clear. Defined. So it really falls in line with the old classic text adventures more than it does the modern day, modern point and click sort of games that we've played around uh, and leading into the early 90s. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and it makes some of those concessions. to not have to enter free text i i am sure because as a as a language barrier obviously if you're writing a text adventure in one language for that language you can you can suppose all the different inputs someone might put and and write responses for those or or consequences for those but when you're then translating that it automatically becomes more complicated to do that because some of the options won't necessarily make sense or whatever um We'll, we'll come, definitely, we need to come back to that a little bit later on, because when we're talking about some of the mechanics and how the game progresses, um, I was interested uh, by how I thought it worked. And I know, Brad, you ran into a couple of problems with that. Um, just before we get onto, uh, onto some of that, um, I wanted to touch the graphical style. Um, the opening to, to the game, this the cityscape that you get with Neo Kobe City, the skyline, I found really, really striking um, for multiple reasons. Uh, mm. There were a few names that popped up. That it's interesting to see what um, <laughs> what the creators thought would be the key companies that would be on the name of a skyline in in you know <laughs> sixty yeah. years time. Uh, Sony are on there, and think that's probably fair enough. Sega are yep. on there. Mm. ASCII (laughs) is on there. That's why. It's it's fair enough. Nothing against ASCII as as a as a uh, computer language, I guess. Um, But I don't know why it would be on the building. (laughs) Um, It's not
3: the computer language. There's a whole uh, publishing company. That's the name of their company. It was the ASCII company. Oh, there we go. Okay,
0: that's why they put out a bunch of. Thank you, Brett.
3: From soft titles like the Kingsfield titles and all those titles back then that were huge at the time, but they've totally yeah. you know disappeared in the mists of, of history now.
0: Okay. Well, on the one hand, I feel stupid for not knowing that. On the other hand, if they've disappeared, then it just proves, like Sega, I guess, it would be ludicrous <laughs> yeah. to think of their name on a building. Um, and then uh, the uh, the headquarters of uh, of of Junker, so the Junker HQ is called the Konami Omni Building, which uh, obviously Konami, but then Omni reminded me. Uh, possibly intentionally of omni consumer products from, from Robocop. Um, i did have a little wry smile at that skyline when i saw sony yeah, and sega yeah.
2: right next to each other that <laughs> you know ultimately uh, there's a strong argument to be made that it's actually sony that put sega out of business with the playstation well, yeah, 2 yeah, and yeah, people absolutely. not picking right. up the, <laughs> the dream dreamcast in yeah. 99 and then mm-hmm. sega running out of money
0: so the the way the game uh looks it, it's mostly uh stills that you get sort of backdrop stills or or the room that you happen to be in or the character you're speaking to there's, there's kind of a backdrop and and not much in the way of animation going on uh, often um they do have kind of a hard edging to the characters and it's clearly not cell shading because that that's not the way they did it it's just the way the art happens to be drawn um but it gives that kind of uh graphic novel style look because they've got the kind of the thick black edges to everything and the, and the details are all kind of brought out with that um the the obvious references i could uh, bring the original Metal Gear games, obviously both made for the MSX2. As this was, um, they were going to look quite similar uh, in terms of also having the little um, when you're having a conversation. They have the little sort of square icons for each character pop up, similar to the way you do in in not just Metal Gear, or the original games, but through the Solid series via the um, the various communication tools that uh, that the player uses. Um, um, and uh, Brad, you already mentioned Street Fighter. Uh, the the cutscenes in in Street Fighter um, reminded me quite a bit of this. You know, the sort of storyboard type stuff you get for the um, the Street Fighter Two character stories. Um, a little reminiscent. Obviously, uh, that was a bit later than this. But yeah, those were, those are were the ones that came to mind in terms of just trying to explain how the game looks. And, uh, yeah, I mentioned some of the details that go on uh, with some of the characters. So uh, the mouths look a bit odd. Uh, it looks a bit like, I, I don't know, like they're a doll or something. It's just a vertical section of the mouth goes up and down. Uh, although in Act 3 it changes, I noticed. it In Act 3 it looks a lot smoother, so obviously they yeah. changed that when they they added Act 3 onto the Sega CD version. Um, but they also do some, some points where a character's talking, they'll have a little twinkle going on in the eye, which is amazingly evocative depending on the context as to how emotional Mm. a character is getting and all it is is this tiny little one pixel changing colour or something but really cool little animated detail for something that's ostensibly a flat still text adventure
3: It's funny you bring that up because as I was playing through this again I haven't played it in quite some time and as I was playing through it I was just like thinking to myself the whole time wow this looks still really good like it looks It yeah. has no problem drawing you in. It doesn't look... You know, like you play an old PlayStation 1 game or something, and those are vomit-inducing, a lot of them. They just... You know, the, the <laughs> yeah, four yeah. pink yeah. triangles or whatever doesn't work anymore. Yeah. But you come yeah. back to this, and the art is so... <laughs> it has so much personality. And like you said, just a little bit of motion here, a little twinkle there, a little nod there. And it's yeah. it's funny because you don't ordinarily think of pictures like that or that type of game technology being so emotive and being and communicating so much visually... But mm-hmm. when you compare it to people these days where it's like if you don't have photorealism then it's not good enough. Well, you know, honestly, no, yeah, like look yeah. at something like right. this. I totally got sucked into it and I love these characters. Yeah. And they are like two D stills with like you know, eight different colors on screen. It just it's <laughs> yeah. all yeah. about the artistry, it's, you know?
0: Yep.
2: It's something we've mentioned before on the podcast regarding that the, the, the leap to three D with the PlayStation and, and the Saturn was quite spectacular. And at the time, it felt absolutely amazing. But the problem is when you go back to play them, they don't hold up well because they were the start of a very new style of of, of game. Mm. And if you go back beyond that, when it was 2D, that was a, a technique that had essentially been mastered. So the charm that was put into them is never lost because that was never changed generationally with, with system power. It was just... Yeah it was artists essentially playing with their palettes and having their wills and it's something that we I believe we mentioned it on the Castlevania Symphony of the Night podcast, also mm-hmm. another Konami game, where despite being two D and, and Castlevania going three D, it's still regarded as the best game because of all the little great touches in that little art in the art world still hold up completely and that's exactly how I felt about Snatcher. And this this game is this release is 20 years old. Yeah. The, the, the main game is 26. Yeah. That's yeah. huge for a game when you... You know, if you're thinking back to 26 years plus, you tend to be drawn onto games that look, what I would say, considerably worse than this. But this does have that certain artistic style that it looks really nice. It does have those little touches. Um, as James said, you know, you'll have that little... The, the eyes will sort of narrow uh, a very small amount mm-hmm. but it conveys the emotion of that character or, yeah. or uh, the way they look on screen it, ha- it has the ability to make you laugh and you know yeah. I'm not saying it has the ability to go the other way because it, at no point does the game ever really try to without you know being quite comical um, in, in its own way which sort of defeats the purpose but <laughs> there, were, there were times that stuff would happen in that game um, that would make me laugh with just the art style alone yeah. Uh, it is really charming
0: yeah it's interesting you should say that because um, some of the some of the uh, particular still images of um, of Gillian's face when he's going through a particularly emotional or surprising turn of events um, they they are laughable and and they look very much to me, my immediate thought was (laughs) this is exactly what stopped me playing the first Phoenix Wright game but in that game, it's mm. it, it's so overdone in the court scenes where Phoenix is standing there and his face is just... It, it's like a Stretch Armstrong doll tying itself in knots. It's all over the place sure, yeah. and, and it, it, it's distracting. In this game, it was always funny and it was always amusing, even when it wasn't yeah. a funny and <laughs> amusing moment. Um, but it never distracted from what was going on. It always felt additive because it was fairly sparingly used. Um, and, and I really liked some of the the more goofy faces he pulls as something's going on around yeah. him. I mean, uh, it falls in line, doesn't it, with Metal Gear Solid, with yeah, a, a game yeah. that does not take
2: itself overly serious. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, there are moments yeah. it'll just go to being just pure daft. Uh, uh, and it's always stays fresh because of that. It, it's never poor-faced in,
1: in how it tries yeah. It yeah, to do. I think the first time we see him pull one of those faces is when the, you get the bomb out of Little
0: John. The other Metal Gear, <laughs> <laughs> it's a time bomb! <laughs> <His face laughs> That's a wonderful back. scene, because yeah. Yeah, it's clearly played for nothing but laughs. For sure, yeah. Uh, you, no, at no point are they trying to suggest that the character is in danger, no, really. No. Uh It's all just... Because they have a whole conversation while this bomb's still <laughs> yeah. coming down, you know. It's just, you know... And about three or four times they say, get out yeah. of here, and they still don't go. It's, yeah, it's really, really... Well played. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's all about the timing, as, as always with these things. But, yeah, the odd face pops up. It's just stop and watch the face before you read the, <laughs> read the text or listen to what's going on first. Yeah. Um, speaking of, of which, the other thing that, that they put into the TurboGrafx-16 version and, and came through into the Sega CD version, uh, obviously with an, an English voice cast, is... I guess it's about a third of the dialogue. It may be about half is, um, is now actually spoken dialogue as opposed to text. So it's, um, it, it's got a voice cast, um, no names on there that particularly struck me as, as well known, uh, amongst the English cast. But, and again, I'm probably looking at this through the lenses of what I expect from a game made for sort of ninety four, 1994, mm. essentially 1992. If you talk about the original, uh, time they put voices over it. Um, it struck me as really well done. It's yeah. not, t- it's not massively well acted, I don't think, uh, or or it is, but for the tone that they're going for, there's never sort of a load of gravitas or emotion comes out sure. in the voices. They're always kind of playing it uh, with a sort of nod and a wink, kind mm-hmm. of self knowingly. Um, but yeah, it just it helped me. Relate to the characters really, really well to to know what Gillian sounds like, mm-hmm. or or Mika, or whoever it might be, when you're you're interjecting with them uh, and met the Metal Gear voice, yeah, perfect, just yeah. wonderful, yeah, yeah, fantastic. I mean, I
2: think there are there's only really two main voice actors for the men um, in the in the whole game who tend to tend to voice everyone mm. uh, of every nationality, which is, they, is quite amusing <laughs> in its own right. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the women seemed... Uh, there, there seemed to be more female voice actors in it, and I don't know if it was just me. I thought they did a much better job. Mm. Um, and, and I know that one of the male voice actors, Jim Parks, um, I wasn't overly keen on his work, um, and he does... He he was also happened to be in what I widely regard as the worst movie of all time, which is uh, From Dustill Till Dawn 2, <laughs> right. which is just comically bad. Um, so when I was looking through the list, I was like, "Well, that that sort of explains it. <laughs> you know, that that that, that makes sense." Um, but it, it was it wasn't awful. No. It's not you know Castlevania Symphony of the Night, Bad. yeah. Um, but it, it, it it's not spectacular. I just wish I think more variety in the male voice acting would have helped uh, with with more voice actors than just the two of them. Um, but the, I didn't have didn't
3: really have much of a problem with the women, which which is kind of weird. I just thought they were better voice acted. I was going to say that's really really interesting, and I wonder how much of that is cultural because I thought Gillian's voice voices were great. I thought he Mm -hmm. had the best performance of the whole game, and I thought the women were actually pretty flat for me. I thought they were okay, but I felt like, and of course, I have no idea how they were recorded. I mean, were they together in the studio? Probably not. Did they have any context? Probably not. So it's always rough, you know, especially back then uh, when things were so basic. But I thought um, Gillian was great, and I really, I just, I mean, even today. In comparison to all the other voices that we get in games, I still thought he did a great job, considering yeah. that mm-hmm. number one, it's so old, and that like you know, like James said, like it's kind of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Just never really played super yeah, serious. Yeah, it's never, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, but yeah, the women I thought were they felt notably flat, although not terrible to me. So I wonder if that's a uh, you know which side of the water you fall on, whether that possibly. That has a, um, a factor.
0: I guess I'm somewhere in between the two of you. I really loved Gillian's voice, and 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 but none of the female voices sounded uh, anything but but you know, fine as, as well. Um, as, as I say, uh, Gillian and and Metal Gear were the two that stand out, which makes sense because they are the two biggest parts in the game. So they obviously had to kind of get those right. Um, but yeah, no, I I was fairly impressed with with all the voice work. Obviously, yeah, bearing in mind the the caveats that I've just placed on all of that. But um, I did like the voice of Metal Gear, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah I'm sure. which Does which is obviously if if the listeners haven't
2: guessed is another Metal Gear solid. Yeah. <laughs> well, another Metal Gear reference at least, and it's actually Metal Gear Mark Two. The uh, the the side drone yep. you actually have in Metal Gear Solid yeah. Four, which yeah. oh, made so me when I saw it had, it had made me smile yeah. when you when you saw it sort of come out of Harry's office when you get yeah. awarded with your little mech <laughs> at the start of the game, and I was like, I don't know that one,
1: yeah,
0: yeah, well, and,
3: and they
1: actually they actually sorry, go no, on, it's because when right. I first played Metal Gear Solid Four, having played this you know years and years and years, like decades yeah, before, oh, must, yeah. oh man, when he first came out, I was like, oh my
3: god.
0: <laughs> well, they actually—they uh, actually say in, in Snatcher, obviously uh, not referencing Metal Gear Solid Four at all, but um, they actually mention that it's based mm-hmm. on a model from the early or late twentieth or early twenty-first yeah. <laughs> century, I think, or something like that. You know, yeah.
1: Uh, going back to the voices, I one thing that I really specifically liked about it was how. Even though it's like super charming, almost everyone is as stereotypical as they possibly could be. Like, oh, yeah. um, yeah, yeah, like yeah. The, the chief, he has that, that perfect, you know, like get over here, Gillian kind of voice, yeah, you know. Yeah. And yeah. Random <laughs> Hajil is basically
2: John Wayne. I mean, the, the best part is with the chief, um, Gillian himself
0: says, doesn't he? Goes, the chief looks exactly like I thought yeah. he would, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he does. And the, the first time you see him, uh, and it is behind the desk, and that's where you see him for most yep. of the game. And mm. yeah, he's just, he is that police chief yeah. who's, you know. Yeah,
2: it, it's one of those things, it's, it's we've seen, if the characters felt familiar, it is because we had seen them before. Of course. You know, yeah. Gillian oh, is yeah, yeah. clearly Deckard right. from Blade <laughs> yeah. Runner. Uh, they, they don't even try and hide yeah. it. Um, oh, no, the, the, no, no. the first yeah. snatcher that you take down is clearly Roy Batty from yeah. Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. Random Hajil is. Um, Sting. I can't remember the character's name, but it's Sting yeah. from Dune. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. And
2: it, it, it's like the the coat is copied, the hair is copied, oh, yeah. the face yeah. is copied. It's you know, but that sort of in a strange way just helps the game.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's like I was saying, it's it totally charming. D- it doesn't detract yeah. from anything. Oh, yeah, it, it, yeah.
2: it, it yeah. yeah. It just completely adds to the charm. And of course, you know, we we have uh, the snatchers are replicants, but they look exactly like <laughs> Terminators. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's no, quite absolutely. amusing but and, and, it's, it and, is enjoyable
0: and it's absolutely intentional because it, it does multiple things what it does is it, it gives you an expectation of what these characters are going to be it's a shorthand so they don't have to explain and it removes a lot of exposition as to what the character is or you know it removes a lot of having to explore that character because you already know and what it then that then does is allow them to subvert it slightly and make the character mm-hmm. you know obviously Gillian isn't exactly right sure. because by the end he gets a whole backstory that's wildly, well, wildly different and there 's not really well by the end, there certainly isn 't but during most of the game there isn 't really an expectation that he 's a snatcher it 's kind of yeah uh-huh. it could well, be, but it 's not It's one of those things though that right up
2: until act three, yeah, you can almost feel like he could be a snatcher oh yeah because yeah, you know, which, which right yeah which which yeah. falls right in line with the influences for the, for this game yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and you know up until Act three was released, which sort of cleared a, a lot of stuff up, including you know, random Hajeel who you can almost completely change his character uh, via the, via what happens in act Mm. three, the the way that the story goes, because obviously he's essentially a a removed character from the timeline until that point. So Mm. um, it's almost like act three, whilst it finalized the story the way it was intended, did sort of clear up a few um, potential misgivings on the story where you could feel, that it was essentially a straight rip of the Blade Runner storyline and, and and stuff like that, you know, yeah, as, true, as yeah. the game was originally released in 88.
0: Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. Um, w- w- we've talked about voices. Uh, the other thing that I've, I've mentioned uh, and I think is probably going to be a, a big... Uh, contributing factor to our feelings about the game, Uh, certainly is for me, I guess it probably is for you guys Um, the music and some of the incidental kind of sounds that go on um, there's a lot of jazz in the opening uh, music and it kind of gets more and more uh, synth based as you go through the game mm-hmm. uh, n- note, I think uh, I'm right in saying that but there, there's kind of that heavy 80s synth influence that, and for me I always think of Masters of the Universe and that silly bloody key <laughs> but it's a thin <laughs> synthesizer it, that's always what I think of when I hear 80s synth music um, but it is that and it is wonderful I, yeah. think. I think it's fantastic. Oh the saxophone yep. <laughs> some people who yeah, follow yeah. me on Twitter might have seen me mentioning oh, yeah, it yeah, yeah. on uh,
2: <laughs> over the last few days um, that, that saxophone in the intro yeah. to Snap it's just absolutely <laughs> cheesy and charming and wonderful all at the same time. I absolutely loved it. I actually watched the intro through three times in a row for that game, so I'm going to be disappointed if that piece of music doesn't appear in this final edit shot. <laughs> oh, no, totally. It's going to be in there,
1: yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, for me, the, um, the, the creepy music, I'm sure... Um, I don't know how else to describe it other than the... Yeah. Like yeah, when I was, yeah. uh, when, especially when I was that young, playing it, that music seriously creeped me out. And especially that that music comes in yeah. during like most of the time during the uh, more suspenseful moments in the game. And it was just super well, those evocative. moments
0: where you're having to select menu options that are move forward. Yeah, yeah. And you're yeah. Like, No, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> I'd rather <forward>. not. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really evocative stuff. Yeah. 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 No, I, I think it's absolutely fantastic, uh, Brad. How, how about you? Um, music for you.
3: Oh yeah, that was the first thing that struck me when I started it back up again I mean, like Carl said, the intro is just amazing Amazing. (laughs) It sounds so great And as as having been a person who grew up in the 80s it doesn't remind me of masters of the universe and yeah it sounds, cheesy. <laughs> no, sure. it sounds awesome because that's what we listened to back then yeah. um but yeah oh. i love it and honestly i do own the soundtrack i bought several copies of the soundtrack i think about the original i think i've got a remix version but i just think it's it's one of my favorites of all time and i'm not really much of a music guy to be honest but this is a soundtrack that yeah, really no, I mean, grabbed me and stuck with me and you just you just hear it and to me it's so distinctive compared to other yeah. games mm-hmm. whenever people yeah. talk about music in games I often struggle because I don't really quite remember what they're referencing like when someone says oh did you remember that song and I just I just don't but when you talk about Snatcher mm-hmm. this is one game when I can genuinely remember all of the songs mm-hmm. all of the music mm-hmm. and the sounds it's just it they did such great work there I think it's equal to the work that yeah. they did in the other aspects Yeah it's it's yeah. become a yeah. running
1: theme on here uh for James because uh, he, he's he's like you. I, I'm sorry, I'm speaking for you here. Yeah, but like, no, absolutely. Yeah. I was gonna say. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then yeah. how? Whenever you mention that you've noticed the music or
0: like it, then you know it's legit. <laughs> yeah, and, and don't get me wrong. There are plenty of games that have excellent music, and I have just been too much of a inept human being to notice it. But um, but yeah, generally the mu- where the music does stand out. Um. I'm almost certain that you and Josh are going to tell me that I'm right for, for for noticing the music, and it is fantastic. And I, you know, I defer to to you guys generally, but uh, when it, when music stands out to me, uh, yeah, it's pretty much a given that it's it's up there. So before we uh, we move on, we've talked a bit about um, about mechanics and narrative, but we're going to get stuck into that next. Uh, before we do, Sean, I wonder if you could start off with the, the first part of uh, Tadino's forum post, sure. please. Uh,
1: Tadino says, as a big Metal Gear fan, Snatcher was always on my radar, but since I'm not great at adventure games, I constantly made up excuses not to play it. To be fair, it wasn't hard to make them. The only way I could play the game was through emulation, and I had to try several times until I finally got it to work properly. When I did though, I was in for a treat because Snatcher ended up being nothing short of fantastic. From the moment you start a new game and the intro cutscene begins, you know you're in for something different. It still managed to impress me today, so I can't even imagine how people felt about it back in the early 90s. The sequence sets the tone for the entire game, introducing the world and characters in a very cinematic manner, and prepping the player for what's in store. It's also here that Kojima's love for the movies, especially the cyberpunk genre, shines through. Uh, just as a side, I love how the game actually starts with this is for all the cyberpunks out there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, super cool. <laughs> Dedication. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> uh, Tadidio continues. That shot of Neo Kobe emulating Blade Runner is just the beginning of the homages in this game. Instead of coming off as a rip-off of those movies, it feels more like someone putting everything in that they love about a genre into a single project. And for someone who thought Kojima seemed spent in Metal Gear Solid 4, coming to this was a breath of fresh air. Speaking of which... It was very odd to play this weird hybrid adventure and visual novel, especially with no cursor. I welcome this, however, since pixel hunting is usually what kills me in adventure games. The game keeps you from progressing by making you click all the right options to let you proceed. In most cases, this isn't a big issue since you would click on those options anyway, but when the game requires you to click the same thing three or more times, it can get a little frustrating. I personally really like the shooting sequences. It certainly beats having cutscenes for all the action. But while I think they're fun, they can be quite a hassle especially if you're using the keyboard. There was one sequence in particular that made me almost quit the game.
0: Uh, We'll we'll come back to Tadino's feelings on some of the uh, other aspects of the game later, but um, yeah, I just thought that fitted quite nicely there as a a summation of kind of how he came to the game, which is uh, similar to how I did as well. Um, and uh, and then obviously leading us into talking about the mechanic. As far as mechanics go, we've we've talked about the fact of text and adventure. One thing in particular I wanted to to point out, and Carl, you've already mentioned the fact that it's menu based, uh, sort of selecting from pre de, predetermined options rather than say the old in my mind the really traditional adventures uh, adventure games, which are the sort of free text type in where you're just yeah. guessing what the command is and hoping something happens, um, and kind of fumbling your way through and what it does is it gives a structure to it that means you're not you're not doing that you're not fumbling over just finding what the correct command or the correct series of words is in a similar way to say a a free roam uh point and click adventure where you are pixel hunting just clicking on everything trying to see what works Uh, and ones where items are kind of highlighted to go to um, Say like uh, in L.A. Noire, you can have the the, um, the highlights turned on or in a game like Bioshock, which obviously isn't that kind of an adventure game, but the item you need is highlighted gold by mm. default unless you turn it off. Um, wh- whereas in, in an adventure game like a CSI game, a point-and-click adventure like CSI game or, or like... Um, like, say, uh, L.A. Noir where it's that kind of game, but in a, in a more free roaming sense, but the items are highlighted, I feel like that's kind of, you know, it's a bit of the why can I pick up this knife but not that knife yeah, type situation yeah. where it's yeah. just, well, that's the one that's highlighted, so that's the one you pick up. Um, versus that kind of getting lost and not being able to find the right pixel. I I didn't feel like I was either being led by the nose or being not led at all in this. Having the menu options meant you could explore the options given to you. And still, you, I mean, you click on one of the options multiple times, you get different responses from the game, um, and you can just go through every single option on the menu. But you can also try and work it out and work out which is the option that's going to move you forward, which is the one you're interested in. Uh, when you're doing the video phone calls, it's, it's often just for your own... Um, Not entertainment, but it's for your own interest to talk to, say, Jamie, um, Gillian's Mm -hmm. wife. Um, And having the options there, you can pick one or two of them that you're interested in talking to her about. You can pick all of them. Um, It never felt like you were being led, but because the structure was there of the menus, it removed that kind of frustration. I know, Brad, we're (laughs) going to talk in a second about a particular frustration you had, because what it also means is I wasn't really sure... um, whether it was going to be critical to explore every single option Mm. um you know like in a in a mass effect game where you get a series of options to talk about (laughs) some of them will disappear when you've talked to them or or once you've done them all that's it you're not going to get anything more out of it um i wasn't necessarily sure if you had to click on everything which was kind of my default way of doing things um or whether you could kind of just pick the critical path through um, and whether or not just missing one thing to talk about or pick up or look at was going to kind of stop the game in its tracks um and then i saw brad having trouble with the game and that answered my question in no short uh, way so brad um i imagine you have some feelings of on how picky the game can be about what you've done and whether it lets you continue with the story
3: yeah you know i i i have to say this playthrough was probably my third or fourth so i played it yeah a couple times back when it came out. And like I said, I didn't have a lot of experience with games of this sort back then. I was definitely more on the console arcadey side. Um, so I think back then I was very open to what it was doing. And I would be more patient to kind of go through all the different choices and everything. But I think I got, a, I got tripped up in two ways this time. I think, number one, because I've already played the game a couple times, I already remembered mm-hmm. the end point of what I was doing. And so I found yeah. myself wanting to just do the thing that I knew I needed to do rather than going through each option and exploring as if I would have done if I was coming to the game fresh. So I think that by me remembering what the goal was rather than, you know, going through each and and examining each thing, I think I got a little tripped up that way. And I think I also got tripped up just by the fact that games have advanced so much since then. And not to say that this genre is outdated, but for example, I mean, just to kind of give a quick comparison, at the moment I'm reviewing um, Danganronpa 2 on the Vita for uh, Game Critics. Similar, they're both kind of like visual text adventures, and so I mm. thought it was really interesting timing that I was playing both at the same time. Um, but I gotta say, when you compare those things, the way that Danganronpa clearly keeps you moving forward, and if you get stuck it knows where you get stuck, and it gives you hint right away. Yeah. And just, it's very easy to progress, things are highlighted in a very clear way. It's, n- it's not really ever a question of getting stuck, it's just a, what do you want to do? But when I came back to Snatcher, I got stuck for about three days. Um, not to say that I spent 72 that's hours like really clicking on yeah. <laughs> yeah, It's not a solid three days, but I mean, you know, I have other responsibilities for the site. I have a job yeah. and stuff like that. That's old school getting stuck in games though, isn't it? <laughs> that, that's, you know, yeah,
2: mm. this, this isn't the days of where you just go, oh, I'm stuck. I'm going to go and check an online guide. This is a, I'm stuck. I'm going to spend days figuring out what it is. And because of the nature of the game,
3: even with a guide it's not necessarily clear well that's exactly the thing was because I consulted I think three different FAQs when I got stuck and I followed them all to the letter and I literally could not figure out what was going on and I thought is this some kind of bug is there a problem I I just could not progress and it was so massively frustrating to think that just because I'm overlooking one thing like I couldn't do anything and it was you know I eventually figured out what it was on the third day I just was if, if I didn't figure it out at that point I was literally gonna quit because I couldn't get past it um But I have to say, playing it now, I find it really irritating and I find it really unlikable to play. Like, I just really hate it now because... (laughs) I don't hate the game itself, but just how to play it. Because it's so persnickety in what it wants you to do. You have to do things kind of like Carl mentioned, I think it was you mentioned earlier... There's like a look, but there's also an investigate. And sometimes you have to look and then yeah. investigate yeah. and then go back <laughs> to look at it again. It's like, why am I doing these things? It doesn't make sense. You know, uh-huh. like you, yeah. you click on something and it seems like intuitively, if you look on something, you will pick it up if it's interesting, but you have to look at it and it doesn't pick it up. And then you think, okay, well, I've got that. My, Oh, wait, I didn't actually pick it up. I got to go back. I got to go actually pick <laughs> yeah. that thing up. Yeah, it's yeah so, that was so frustrating oh, yeah the start it's of the, so game picky with the object. It's, Yeah, it's so it feels so outdated in that way and I gotta say, that is the only way that it feels outdated to me, I think the visuals, the sound the writing, it's all good I still enjoy all of it, but actually playing the game, wow I wanted to just scream and pull my hair out I really did not like (laughs) playing it again
2: There's there's some real design issues that that wouldn't be acceptable, and this is something that we actually brought up on the System Shock 2 podcast, which in its its own is a 15 year old game um, that whilst it Maybe a classic for all the right reasons. It might still be a great game. There are some desi- dis- there are some design decisions that would just be purely unacceptable in a modern release. Mm-hmm. That would get it torn apart. That that would not make it past testing. Um, and and some of those are most certainly present in a game like Snatcher. And um, it it's you you mentioned. One, one yourself there, Brad, and, and it involved ended up having to look at a bottle of sunscreen. So that with one person, or you would have to phone your wife, but it wouldn't tell you that you had to phone <laughs> your wife first. So you had to find the photo in your apartment and then <laughs> investigate yeah. the piece of paper to get the number off the back, and then you'd have to use the video phone, which is something mm-hmm. that we'll mention in a bit because that bit of the game is quite excellent, and and then you'd have to phone her, and then you'd have to have a conversation, but you wouldn't actually have to say much, because you could quit it immediately, and then amazingly, in a completely different location, someone would be in their house uh, that you could talk to, which which is all very strange, and then there was the bit that you mentioned about the uh, the investigation at the start, where you get a photo, and you get a chess piece. And I looked at them all, and then I went to the next location. And I was stuck, and I checked a guide, and it said, oh, yeah, you have to show them the piece out of your inventory. So I went, okay, and it wasn't in my inventory <laughs> because despite the fact I'd looked at it, it hadn't stored it in my inventory because I needed to investigate okay. it. And then the, you know, you've got the other pieces where you could go and you could be in an investigation. You have to go and ask someone about someone. So you go and ask about a character called Gibson. And they say... I don't know who this Gibson is, so you okay? And you're that's weird. So then you've (laughs) got to go into your inventory, and then into your sub inventory, and then into your photos, and then into your evidence, and then into your Gibson photo, (laughs) and then you show them the photo, and then they're like well, I'm going to need some money. It was like, well, you didn't need any money before, so you <laughs> give them some money, and then, then you show them the photo again, because, again, he says, I don't know who this Gibson is. <laughs> so you, then you show them the photo, and then you ask him about Gibson, he goes, oh, Gibson? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that side of it is all a little bit frustrating, but yeah. at, at the same time, you can only imagine that if I'd played this you know, 24 years ago or, or 20 years ago, that I would have thought that this would have been the most badass game, um, but... Yeah, little design decisions like that would just would not be acceptable in a game now. And of course, the menu structure is quite similar to um, how you would go through like an Ace attorney game with the, with the choosing of the menu options mm. and, and and so forth. But you know, whilst James might have been turned off by the art style, the progression of that is a, a much superior take on on what this tried. Um, and as a result, the way that the the this game is structured with its mechanics that even with a guide, it's not mm. necessarily that clear. No, no. Because there were yeah. times where I would get a guide out and I'd be cursing and I'd be like, I've done that! And <laughs> you realise you have to go back about three areas because you didn't, you know, look at something. Yeah, yeah. Or some something daft like that. But, you know, that, that that's, by the by, that was a, that's an issue with the game. And aside from that, it's, you know, thoroughly enjoyable and, and engaging.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: There, there's a... Wonderful serendipity that we're recording it this week, uh, the week that PT came out, which is also, I guess, yeah. by Kojima. And everyone's having the exact same reaction <laughs> what do I do? to that. Like, how do I get through this? What am I missing? What am I yeah. doing wrong? I don't understand what I missed. And, and it, there's totally bizarre design choices in that too. And it's just, it's just ironic, I guess. Yeah,
0: <laughs> seems is still willing yeah, to uh, piss you off as much I, as he I, can. I think, though, it was just more <laughs> acceptable 26 years ago to have a game where... Of course, yeah. The flow would be broken up if you just didn't happen to know what to do. I can't even imagine writing a guide for this game because working out what you have to do, (laughs) unless you're just doing everything and telling whoever's reading the guide to do everything. Um, Yeah, working out what the actual critical path is and where the breaks in that can happen and leave, you know... Someone like Brad, Mm -hmm. who's actually completed the game twice previously, sat in front of a door knocking on it and not realising that two buildings ago, (laughs) he should have looked at and investigated a bottle of sunscreen in order for some other random character to be (laughs) in their flat. Which obviously isn't a cause and effect type thing, but in terms of the way the game works, it absolutely is. And that's just bizarre. That's not logical at all. Um, And. Yeah, there's aspects of the narrative in terms of the snatchers and the sunscreen that don't make a whole lot of sense either, but uh to have such a, a fundamental mm. logical sticking point uh in, in the game is yeah, just I w-
2: uh, I was just gonna say that it, it's quite interesting that um you know, given the the issue that Brad had at that exact moment, when I was actually perusing some online FAQs uh, for periods that I got lost, I actually looked in the FAQ section of it and one of them happened to be regarding how do you get uh, Ivan to be at home Um, and it's basically call your wife and then check the bottle of sunscreen and it was exactly the bit that, that Brad happened to be stuck on so it's obviously that bit is
3: an
0: issue yeah 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 well, I was going to yeah. say it's
3: really interesting, too. There are some inconsistencies in the way the game is laid out because in certain scenes, if you try to leave before you found the important thing, it'll say, yeah. you know, Metal will say, Gillian." I think we need to keep looking. But if you yeah. leave that area yeah. at the part where I got stuck, he just lets you leave. There's nobody to say you're missing this crucial thing that's going to halt <laughs> your yeah. entire game if you don't look at this stupid bottle of sunscreen. Yeah. So it was weird to me that they let you fall in some <laughs> places and didn't let you fall in others. And, and just as a quick side note. I got to say, it's really annoying to go through all the different steps because of how many times you have to look and investigate. And I noticed as I was going through the FAQs, the people who wrote the FAQs were very, very detailed at the beginning. And as you got to the end of the game, they started making shortcuts. And I was like, oh, you just got tired of typing a look and investigate, didn't you? Because it's, you know, as irritating as to play, it's just as irritating to type it. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Definitely Mm -hmm. could benefit from some modern streamlining, for sure.
2: That that game, though, the way way that it is structured does lend itself to having some hidden Easter eggs. And obviously, that's nothing new to Hideo Kojima. He actually loves the odd Easter egg in his games. And um, one section was uh, when you go to the plaza and you're looking for someone. If you actually, I think seven looks triggers the event, but if you actually press look 30 times on events, eventually (laughs) uh, a woman will approach you and she'll give you out some tissues. Mm. And he's like, this is strange. He goes, oh, a number's written on it, and it's for love line, which is essentially the sex line (laughs) in the game. So she's actually giving you some (laughs) tissues for a very specific reason. And then you can phone them up, and you get some quite comical little side stories, some little conversations in the game that actually had me laughing, you know, with women belittling you need to ring sex lines and other ones (laughs) claiming that we're all being listened to. Um, and then one giving you a false number to get off the line and and stuff like that. So that side of it <laughs> is absolutely hilarious and stuff that not. I would imagine that the vast majority of people actually never got to see back in the day because, yeah. you know, if you, if you get in the event at looking seven times on, I think you had four options. So again, you were repeating at least three of them twice. To look thirty times is a bit extreme, but it led to a really good Easter egg. So, yeah. um, and some of the Easter eggs and little touches in this game are absolutely hilarious. You know, like flat out had me laughing. Um, yeah. You know, again, you got the bit in in Outer Heaven with the uh, the, the mock up Konami characters, which <laughs> yeah. is. Yeah. Probably my favorite bit in the entire game, where you know he you would discuss these characters, and you'd you'd have Mister Wader there from Lethal Enforcers, and you'd, you'd you know you'd have a guy dressed up as Gorman, and you'd have the, the dressed up as the Contra characters, and a couple dressed up as Castlevania characters, and you know, I think my favorite one was <laughs> if you click on to discuss the Contra characters. Gillian says, I'm starting to sense a theme here. We must stick out like a sore thumb amongst all these Konami <laughs> characters. Huh, <laughs> Metal Gear. And Metal Gear turns to you and says, oh, I'm not sure. I think we fit in better than you think, Gillian. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, just really nice touches. There, there are a few fourth wall breaking moments as well. Oh, that, yeah. That are, that are, yeah, just really nicely done. That one in particular that stands out to me is when you're in the car sabotage sequence um, mm-hmm. and you just have to go through all the options and there's nothing to do. And then prayer pops up, so you pray. <laughs> and, and and basically then uh, Metal Gear says oh we prayed and another option's popped up on the menu which is yeah. just this wonderful <laughs> and he actually references that it's a menu as well yeah. it's not just oh now we can do it but it's just literally yeah just it, as always um, Hideo Kojima has a wonderful way of just sticking his hand straight out of the screen and just tapping on the mm-hmm. shoulder and just you know, pointing out what you're doing and what you're yeah, playing yeah, and what's going on it's even self-referential that it's a game gear, isn't it at the start yeah. when he says yeah. oh go
2: to your apartment he goes I have an apartment, I have a place to stay too? And Metal is like, <laughs> of course you do, you've got to stay somewhere. He goes, I know, I'm just trying to th- make things a little more fun for the folks
0: playing the game at home. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. absolutely. Lots of little touches like that, and and a lot of them around the video Videophone, um, which yeah. which I thought was really good. Um, there's a couple of different resources you have in the game. Videophone is one, you can call their various numbers, but I, I don't know if these numbers were in the manual anywhere. I assume you just have to find them, write them down. Uh, that's what I ended up doing. Um, uh, and, and also using uh, in the English version it's called Jordan uh, I'm not sure on the pronunciation because it's been a long time since I played MGS4 um, but uh, Gaudi or Jody, it might be I suppose um, which is the AI system that you have to go to to find out all the kind of huh. rap sheets about different characters and information um, and, and you need at one particular point in the game to answer a couple of questions uh, that um Jean-Jacques Gibson's daughter is is asking you. Um, in theory, you need to go there unless you look up in a in an FAQ. Yeah. I, I mean, think. can you remember when games used to come with manuals, and then those manuals used <laughs> to have notes sections? Yeah, it's games
2: like this. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, and and obviously straight from Metal Gear in terms of needing to get the um, the the frequencies to call various Meryl. different people, yeah. and often having to either write those down or find them in a manual or whatever it might be, and yeah, just the uh, video phone is very much evocative of that. Um, and has some really nice touches when you're just calling your your wife, who you're kind of estranged from at the beginning of the game, and you can just choose to talk to her about whatever you want. Um, naturally, there are some inappropriate options to choose, uh, and you're reprimanded <laughs> yeah. for choosing them. And yeah, just uh, just some real humour from that, from that. I thought Gillian does love the ladies. That's fair to say, Is you can pretty oh. much
2: hit on every female character in the game. And
0: the the additional ending that they rolled in just pleased to oh, that as well it's ludicrous it's, yeah. The, yeah the the yeah. ending which we'll discuss
2: right before we we wrap up the show is mm. is definitely that is definitely something that anyone who's critical of kojima this yeah. game isn't <laughs> going to change their no, views <laughs> um, no definitely not but yeah it, it's it's for me as someone who actually I enjoy um the way kojima lays his games out it, you know it, it's obviously it's not for everyone i, I personally like it i, I think it's, it's it's enjoyable um yeah, it, it made me I had a wry smile playing the game a few, a few different options. The way and the thing is you can tra- try and chat up women and you can try and pick up women again in the plaza, you you you'll eventually get a pick up woman option. Yeah. And the first two knock you back and the third one's like Well I've got an appointment, you say well, you could cancel it. She goes, You're right, yeah, let's go on a meal and Metal Gear nudges you goes, uh, I've got something to tell you, Gillian. Um, I've I've done a scan and that uh, that she is um well, Gillian, it's a he. <laughs> and Gillian's like whoa, whoa and then he pretends that he's been called on duty and then he obviously he tells Metal Gear that isn't it against the lot to cancel and he goes, Metal Gear goes yeah you found me out so he runs after the woman again and says oh look you know whatever's been cancelled we can go on that date and then eventually it plays out that the woman is a snatcher and it goes to a game over screen but oh. then Metal Gear nudges you and wakes you up and says, you fell asleep on the job, Gillian. <laughs> so, 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 yeah, there's, there's some
0: uh, daft yeah, little stuff yeah, out just, in the game. Yeah, daft stuff, but, yeah, but uh, yeah, the, it's, it's what makes it stand out from other games, I suppose, isn't it? So
1: Yeah, I, I was just going to say, like when, when it comes to the women, you usually have, it just says do something at the bottom, yeah. and then when you click it, it's either be a decent person, be a creep, or be a total sleaze bag. <laughs> it's, like, it's like console, wipe away the tears. Yeah, wipe away the do tears, c- smell, smell (laughs) just smell it that's so creepy
2: (laughs) (laughs) what the yeah I gotta say
3: I mean I I I don't remember those things from when I played it back in the day but I think having been a teenager back then I I don't think it would have struck me quite the same way but Mm -mm. coming back to it now Mm -mm. being so much older and just you know hopefully wiser I gotta say, like, I really, I really was really kind of repelled by those points, and I was surprised at how often Kojima's, like, sexual connotations came up, and I was like, you know, a little bit here and there is fine, but, like, they really verge on the creepy a lot of times, especially when you consider that, um... That one girl is supposed to be, what, 14 originally? I forget she what she was. She was 14 it. in the Japanese yeah, yeah. release, yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: I mean, it, it's weird, isn't it? Caesar in the shower and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
3: it's really weird. It's really creepy. And I felt like it was really distracting to me rather than it being entertaining. I was really kind of put off. I mean, it didn't make me yeah. dislike the rest of the game, but it was kind of like a really harsh wake up call to see how much of it was so overt.
0: Yeah, mm.
2: um, yeah it, 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 just it was it's yeah, very of, um, in your face and very over the top throughout the start of that game that, yeah. that really it shouldn't have been there. You know, my, the, the bits that I enjoyed were more like um, just like the daft humour of, of yeah, yeah. you know, the pick up the woman. But when you've got the character Katrina, which is Gibson's daughter, who Gibson's the other uh, junker, yeah. uh, the other junker who, who gets killed right at the very start, actually gets his head twisted off, yeah, which gruesome. is quite gruesome. But um, and you get to her house and she's crying because her father's dead. And the first thing you can do is hit on her by yeah, wiping away know, her tears, and then you can actually ask her out on a date. But then Katrina's a very strange character, because she actually spends more time talking about how she's, quote, old for a model, <laughs> um, compared to... She, she talks more about her modelling days being over than the actual death of her father, which was also a bit yeah. odd. But yeah, that, that side of the game, a little too creepy for my liking, but, you know... Yeah, I
0: mean, we talked about in particular one conversation that that comes to mind we've had in the podcast previously uh, was about the ending of uh, Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker uh, and the fact that you've got ostensibly a schoolgirl character in that um, who is it gets very creeper creepy with the way Snake treats her in that game, um, and, and this. It, yeah, it's pretty clear that this is exactly the same sort of stuff in terms of some of the conversations. And that uh, scene you were mentioning, Brad, when when um, Gillian goes back to his apartment and Katrina's there. I mean, the whole scene makes sense because you you know she knows you're you're a drunker, and and she would have gone to a safe place when yeah. her house was attacked. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. And and the way uh, Gilliam behaves, he thinks there's a snatcher in his apartment. He thinks someone's come there, so he's moving around the apartment trying to see what's going on, investigating, you know, why the lights on, why the doors open, what's going on, etc. But then the moment that he steps into the bathroom and and um, basically sees that it's her and she sees him, instead of offering apologies and the legitimate explanation for why he did what he did, which is pull the shower curtain back back on her, um, he he doesn't, and it, it's. I I assume it's supposed to be played for laughs but yeah the, knowing that that character was supposed to be 14 years old and the conversation and the way he tries to take that conversation or at least he can given the options that are presented to you um it's yeah it, there's there's no way to describe it but just really creepy and offputting
2: I mean that's I suppose it's it's not unusual it's not we've seen it before um in in some Japanese game design it's very you know, they, they did censor it for the West, which sort of makes sense um, because we're less accepting of the sexuality, the over sexuality of young girls, I guess. Mm. Um, but it's quite distracting, and, and even in this, with the supposed editing, it's still a bit. You know, it didn't need to be in there. It is. It is quite controversial. You know, I mean, if this was a modern release, that would be controversial.
3: Well, you know, not to get too off track, but I think this is kind of a a track record thing with Kojima. I mean, as much as I respect his work, and I I am a fan for sure, it just seems to be like this habit of how he portrays women, I think, is just a real problem. And I think that he doesn't really uh, address it in a way that I think perhaps we in the West would like to see him address it. I mean, I don't know. I I, I get that people say there's a cultural component to this, but at the same time, I think there's also just like a creep component to it.
2: Well, I mean, you can get. I'm not saying he's necessarily all just Japan, because some brilliant, most grown-up games right now has come out of Japan at the same, yeah, at the same time. Yeah. So, you know, that side of it is a bit it's, weird. It's
1: a weird thing because he's. Sad. He's. We've also seen him give us some of the most iconic female characters in games. You yes. know, like the boss and uh, Meryl. You know, like he's he's capable Sniper of Wolf doing. Yeah, Sniper Wolf. Yeah, he's capable of making these incredible female characters. It's just he always has to back it up. With something a little questionable, yeah. yeah.
2: Well, I'd say for the, for the most part in this game, I really liked Mika in particular. So yeah, stand out as, as as the strongest of all yeah. the female characters. She's the one who's knocking you back, telling you yeah, to be yeah. professional, saying, aren't you married, and this and that. Yeah, uh, yeah, Which, you know, in fairness, you are married in this game, but you suffer from amnesia, which is a convenient storytelling. <laughs> uh, but it's... At, at at the same time, you sort of separate from your wife and stuff, so you can sort of understand it. It's not like he's just hitting on people whilst he's in love with his wife, although he, th- there is a strange bit of the story There's where of part, part, the, part of the time 3D, he is yeah. in love with his wife and part of the time he doesn't remember who she is sort of thing. <laughs> but um, Mika is by far the most grown-up of all the female characters in the game, and then, you know, the worst possible rating that you can get yeah, in the game is really her dumb, rank. Yeah. At the end, but oh, you know, well. it's. Yeah, I had to sort of read, research, and read up on it to sort of realize that that was the case. Mm-hmm. But it's obviously an intentional games design. I think,
0: and and at this point, I, I should say, in the past, uh, with games like *Peace Walker* and, and other games, uh, *Hitman: Blood Money*, I know we've we've had feedback that, yeah, yeah, that perhaps for some people we we dwell on this aspect too yeah, too long yeah. and and give too much import to it. But I think it is telling that all four of us are sitting here saying there are moments in this game that are clearly meant to be humorous, but there are other moments, particularly when Gillian's interacting with female characters, that just leave us all uncomfortable. A, a a bit of a downside anyway but um um so basically the story breaks into three acts the first act is introducing you to the role of of the junker um and and meeting your first snatchers and taking down your first snatcher um after your uh a senior junker is killed um it is, is there are some aspects of the story that seemed kind of off the wall to me stuff like um Jean-Jacques Gibson just deciding that the, the, the skin is going to take six months before they can perfect it apropos of nothing um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or um, when uh, when you get to the, the hospital facility and you start reconstructing who the four uh, dead bodies are and it reconstructs green hair on someone. Um, I, I, I don't know how they determined that when they've already <laughs> said that all the hair is gone and it's a skeleton. I don't know how they worked out that this character had had green hair but there are There's stuff like that that's clearly kind of just off the wall and, and either a result of someone not thinking it through or it's just supposed to be a bit wacky and weird. Um, so Act 2 is basically the the investigation part of it and working out what's going on with the Snatchers um, and, and ends in this kind of like the assault at the Junker HQ uh, and working out who the Snatcher uh, in, on the inside is um, and then Act 3 rounds all of this up with an awful lot of exposition, uh, covering Gillian's backstory, covering who, uh, what his relation to Jamie is and how they got to the point where they had amnesia, etc. Um, it gets very convoluted in Act 3, and I think it possibly tries to tie up a little too many of the loose ends, as Carl, I think you alluded to earlier, mm. um, with, with that, um, Was there anything about the story that that you guys particularly wanted to draw attention to, stuff you thought it did well, stuff you thought it did badly? I mean, I I don't think that the story's overly bad. Um, No? You know,
2: it's enjoyable Fair. There's a lot of stuff that's never explained for a reason. It's purely there to begin the story. There's a lot of things that are there, but they're never fully dealt with in any form of depth. So if you can take the story at face value and accept what you're being told uh, toward the progression of the story, then it is quite enjoyable sci-fi. Fair. I've played games with many worse stories, and it leans very heavily on Blade Runner, which is for me the most influential movie of my life, uh, um, and Terminator, which you know is fantastic in its own right. So if you if you're gonna you know lean upon those two sci-fi films, then you're in a pretty good starting spot. But yeah. Yeah.
0: There,
2: there are holes. There are things that don't necessarily make sense. There are um, there are stuff that arguably shouldn't have been in there. You know, We've already discussed those. There is stuff that doesn't take itself too seriously, which for me makes it a better game because if it tried to take itself all too seriously, it would completely fall apart for me. The fact that it just has a laugh at times... Uh, keeps its charm so um yeah in 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 terms of the story it all holds it together but it's not the best thing i've ever played it's far from the worst thing i've ever played in in that so i
3: was gonna say for me i mean i agree with everything you said carl i mean i think in terms of actual plotting script holes and you know what happens in the narrative of the story there's tons of stuff where i just was scratching my head especially now that so many years have passed and after i've spent so much time you know doing writing and things like that it's like wow it it clearly seems like a bunch of guys got together they roughed something out and ran with it and it it holds together pretty well but for me it's not really the story that sells the game but it's the characters i mean i think hanging out with gillian and the, the interplay between gillian and metal are, is like it's the whole reason to play the game like just yeah. the funny stuff they say back and forth how personable they are how quickly you get to know them as people or as people and a droid or whatever um it just, it's just it's so great and I think that kind of ties in with the, the voice work which I think is still pretty good whether you like it or not but I think it's still pretty good um just just getting to know those people and spending that time with them, I think is really enough to recommend it to anybody because it's yeah. very infrequent that I, I play a game, and I really love a character that much i mean to tell you to tell you an example of how much we love this character when I was playing it when I was younger, uh, my brother uh, was playing it with me, and after we finished the game, so keep in mind that at this time I must have been seventeen and he must have been fourteen or sixteen So anyway uh, we both look at each other and we both we both say well. When we finally have kids, I'm going to name my kid Gillian. And he's like, no, no, I'm going to name him. And so we had this agreement that whoever had a kid first would pick the name Gillian because we both liked Gillian Seed so much. Um, and to, you know, to, and in case you're wondering, my brother got there first and his child is actually named Gillian in real life. Oh, wow. So oh, that's That's awesome. how much we liked this character and, and spent yeah, yeah. time with these people. So for me, you got to just look past the, the plot holes because there are many. And yep. you got to just kind of roll with it, and there's a lot of stuff that makes no sense. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, you you're sitting there shaking your head, thinking there's no way this is going to work. But it's just because you like the characters is the reason you stick with it.
0: Yeah, definitely.
3: Uh,
1: it's a weird thing for me, like as I didn't even realize it until we started talking about it now. But a lot of like my favorite Japanese games, um, when I think back on them. Like I think about Persona, it's all about the characters for me. Yep. Or Bayonetta, it's definitely about the characters because I have no idea what the hell Bayonetta is yeah. actually about. <laughs> stories. Um, yeah, stories. <laughs> yeah. Like Silent Hill is basically the the only one I can think of off the top of my head that, that like that actual story is what stuck with me more than the characters. And uh,
0: even even Metal Gear series, yeah. actually, I, I would argue that the story gets very convoluted very quickly. Sure. But the characters are what you remember. Yeah. You know, Revolver Ocelot, for me is just mind-blowing character mm-hmm. fantastic and gets better every time i see him so yeah and it's often the
1: opposite for me actually with western games too it's more the the gameplay and the stories that stick with me more than and the characters, of the characters. Fade, yeah. yeah
0: yeah interesting um yeah i think um unlike you carl i, I actually think the story does still hold up i don't think uh, time has necessarily been bad to this story um but i uh, yes there are plot holes abundant but 80s action films had those in absolute abundance uh, even even terminator series not necessarily each individual film but the series has got plot holes all over the place as most time travel films do so um so they didn't bother me so much there's i mean th- there is some weird stuff that goes on harry his dying words to um to gillian <laughs> talking about having no like stuff that you would only say to someone you'd known for years and years and years and you find out those characters have a really important relationship that neither of them know about but he's talking about how he always knew you were going to be a good junker <laughs> as, know, f- as far as i can understand that game three ha- times. takes place over yeah over the course of like a day and a half or something <laughs> maybe you know? um, and a similar thing happens at the sort of awkward end scene where gillian stood there with three kind of Main female <laughs> characters, where they start talking about how they're all best friends and they all know one another. And it's mm-hmm. No, no, James, I, I, more than friends, more than yeah. friends, exactly. And and oh, I got lonely after my dad died, so I gave Jamie a call. You did because I had to look at a photograph like three times before I could work out what her number was. It's bizarre. That's when after the game before um, I remembered that Jamie was actually my wife and not
2: someone that was at Junker HQ. It did. So, some of that is really kind of strange, but yeah, I think my favourite bit in terms of the "huh" factor is to do with Harry and it is the bit at the end when he says oh I'm so glad we're all here and and he names them and then Jimmy goes and Harry too and she lifts his hair up (laughs) (laughs) I actually laughed yeah that that was just yeah that that just was so beyond cheesy it made me laugh
0: but to to me that those are obvious plot holes and points but to me it all fits in with the overall tone of kind of self-mockery of of the game yeah. uh, and not in a in a bad way i think it definitely it, it knows that it's no grand narrative it knows that it's not redefining uh, the, the sci-fi cyberpunk genre but what it's doing is evoking a lot of that stuff and there are aspects of Blade Runner where you, years later you're still trying to work out how characters relate to one another and what's really going on particularly regarding the main character uh, Deckard and that um, and and it evokes that but in a humorous way I think so there are these aspects that don't really make a lot of sense but to, to me the game invited me and we've talked about charm of yeah. the main characters to to forego any misgivings I had about that stuff and just enjoy those along with the rest of the game for the overall kind of gestalt that it, that it provides to the player, I think. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about some of that legacy that Snatcher had and why it was it was you know for for Brad and, and Sean you both said it was particularly striking at the time. Um, in in terms of uh, of kind of direct uh, legacy for Snatcher. Um, Apparently, according to Jeremy Blaustein, who was the um, the supervisor for the localization uh, of this game, he said it only sold a couple of thousand units of the Sega CD version that was North American sales, but nonetheless, a couple of thousand units today would be disastrous for any Game that Konami released, I can only imagine. Um, but even then, that was that must have been incredibly disappointing, and goes some way to explain why we didn't see any further remakes. I think. Um, yeah. he speculates it's because the Sega CD wasn't terribly popular, and and uh, Sega had basically kind of given up on it by 1994. By that point. Um, well, I mm. think that's definitely the biggest yeah, impact yeah. on it was that, that yeah, it makes, makes the success rate of it, the yeah. Sega CD was was
2: next to none. It, 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 that yeah. was not the right system to launch the game on. However, as with many things, release a game on a system that doesn't necessarily do well and you tend to get a cult classic yeah. if something's yeah. good. Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah it, it's it's a shame. Yeah, massive shame. It would have been much nicer to have seen the uh, PlayStation or the, the Saturn get a Western release. I, I honestly don't understand why it never, when it got... A release in japan but it's you know that they should have looked at it and said it didn't sell well in the west not because it wasn't very good but just because it was on yeah. the wrong system
0: yeah well not not yet and no sign of it but um the other thing that happened uh, there was a spin-off in 1990 for the msx2 called sd snatcher now sd is super deformed uh, which is uh, an art style similar to chibi style is i guess the most relatable thing uh, which is kind of the the bobblehead I guess is another way to put it where it's characters that have really large uh, they're kind of cutesy cartoon uh, sort of drawn characters, really large heads, very small uh, bodies with short limbs Um, I I hope I've made that clear what I'm talking about there, I I guess a lot of people know what I mean, (laughs) Um, uh, and it's actually a role playing game retelling the Snatcher story I've not really found out much more than that about this, Uh, obviously only released in Japan, only on the MSX2 makes it pretty difficult for for any of us to have experienced but it it happened it's there um and i, I guess if you're willing to to brave a um a, a, a japanese language game or uh, presumably it would be emulation if in fact it's possible to find it at all um and the other thing that happened uh, i mentioned before in 2011 uh, on hideo kojima's podcast hideo radio he put out a seven-part radio play which was a prequel to Snatcher written by Suda51, Goichi Suda uh, the score by Akira Yamaoka directed by Shuyo Murata, who who was a, a co-director, I think, on MGS4 um, and produced by Hideo Kojima who also voices uh, Little John who is uh, John Jack Gibson's uh, Metal Gear equivalent uh, his, his navigator and um, th- I listened to the first episode today. It's really good. I don't normally like radio plays, but this sucked me right in. It, you know, you already know that character to a certain extent from the game. Uh, it's set four years before, so this mm-hmm. is pre-Junker, pre Junker, uh, pre the, the discovery of the first Bioroid, um, the Snatcher. Um, and yeah, some of the voices in it are fantastic. Hideo Kojima's voice, again, it's another navigator that has a wonderful voice. Uh, it's really filtered and, and processed, but just. It's really, really good. I can't say anything more than that. I don't know if you guys have listened to it at all.
1: Nah, I don't know why I haven't, because all of those guys are some of my favorites. You know? I'm a huge yeah, yeah, and a fan, and Akira fan and all those guys. I I'll have to give it a listen. But like, yep. like you said... Uh, radio plays just kind of aren't my bag, but uh, yeah, maybe someday yeah. I'll give it a shot. Um,
0: yeah. It's worth saying that uh, the f- the fan quote-unquote translation uh, into English is just a subtitle, so you still have the, mm. the Japanese going. Mm-hmm. So obviously sure. it, it may not be considered particularly well acted in its native language, but to me, obviously, I, I hear that it's Japanese and I understand the intonations, but I'm obviously reading the text. But uh, yeah, I'll... Uh, what, uh, in the, in the sort of show notes when we post the show, I'll, I'll maybe pop a link to that in, because uh, for any mm. fans of the game, I think it's, it seems to be worth checking out. Uh, mm. It seems crazy. There's, there's, there's also one more thing that I'll have to find the link
1: for. It. Uh, there was some guy who was trying to remake Snatcher as a whole in the Crisis engine. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, he was trying to do it on his own, and in, this was back when I was in college, so... Uh, well, sometime after Crisis came out, obviously. Mm. Um, but it took him years and years and there's actually I'll have to find a link there's actually a bunch of pictures that he was he had totally redone um, like Metal Gear and Gillian himself and yeah. all this he made it, he made it third person wow. and um, I don't know if he ever finished it because I haven't checked up on it in a while but that, that is out there uh, mm, cool
0: yeah look, it's just further evidence of the uh, the the kind of legacy this game had if not in terms of it, the game itself but the, the kind of the impact it had on an awful lot of people so yeah, it, it, anything you guys can think of in terms of legacy of, uh, of Snatcher and what it may have influenced in terms of video games or other stuff?
3: Uh, I don't know about influences for other games, but I mean, in terms of my personal history with games and how it affected me in relation to mm. games,
2: mm. I think yeah.
3: it really opened my eyes in a big way. That was the first time when I really felt like story and character really mattered in a game. Mm -hmm. And ever since then, I mean, that's really where my my love lies. I mean, I've played, you know, thousands of games since then, but I Mm. I tend to stay with the games that have strong writing, strong narrative, strong character. And I think that is definitely in large part the impression that was left from playing Snatcher. I mean, I'm trying to think back. I'm sure other people who played PC may have had similar experiences with other games, but for me, being so focused on consoles and arcade at that time, that was just like, I didn't even really know that could even exist. I didn't know that was even a thing and then to have yeah. something as strong as Snatcher come through—it just kind—it of, really blew me away, and it really strongly shifted my feeling towards games as a medium and as a whole. And I think it's really influenced me in terms of my writing and what really interests me the most um, since then. And in hmm. fact, um, this is totally off the point and a little bit of an aside, but you brought up Police Knots really quickly. Hmm. I was going to say I love Snatcher so much that um, I don't know if people know this or not, but when the Saturn was getting ready for its uh, U.S. release. Uh, there were pamphlets that came out before the Saturn was released to kind of you know help generate hype for it. And mm. inside the Saturn pamphlet was a picture of Police Knots. It was supposed to be one of the launch huh. games and I remember seeing that and I got so excited and I was like, oh my god, (laughs) the sequel's coming out, I'm going to put down money, I put down my money and I was broke at the time, I mean I was like a high school kid or whatever, I had no money but I I scraped it together, paid off my Saturn got it all ready to go, was ready to pick up that game on launch day and it was cancelled before it launched and I was so (laughs) pissed because that was the entire reason I bought a Saturn, I mean of course other games came along and I played it and so forth and so on but I never have forgiven um, Sega or whoever was ultimately responsible for not yeah. bringing police knots over. And in fact, I even kept a bunch of those flyers as proof. If I ever needed proof <laughs> that there was going to be police knots. When <laughs> so you I go still, to court. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when I, when I, sue their, their ass for a, uh, for uh, you know, false advertisement that I got yeah. the proof, but I was, I was so heartbroken. Oh, dear. But anyway. No, that's a right. shame.
0: Yeah. Anyway. No,
1: no, I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause actually that, that probably is actually the same thing for me. I, I usually pre- previous to now, I've always attributed actually metal gear solid for, being why I'm so into story-driven games. And uh, now that you mention it, actually, it probably is Snatcher's fault.
0: Excellent. All right, before we get on to wrapping up our own feelings about Snatcher, um, our community members at uh, the forums, canonrince.com forward slash forums, uh, leave some wonderful posts and have some excellent discussions. And every week I am bowled over by the input. We've already heard a bit from uh, Tadino, uh, Carl, would you be kind enough to read the remainder of his post, please?
2: Yep. He said, Snatcher has a great premise, but unfortunately I guessed most of the big twists. In the end, I didn't find the solution to the mystery as interesting as trying to figure it out, but I'd argue that Snatcher isn't really about the main plot anyway. What really kept me invested through the game with the characters and the world of neo Kobe City. The characters were all likeable, but Gillian and Metal were the obvious highlights. It's really endearing seeing these two trying to solve a noir mystery and save the world despite being total goofballs. I'd say the voice acting has a lot to do with it. Despite being over 15 years old, it holds up pretty well in my opinion and it certainly provides personality that would be lacking if the dialogue was all text. Neo Kobe City sets itself apart, however. Despite only being a few screens in size, I still felt more immersed in it than in most games' settings. The attention to detail here is great and really helps bring the world together, but what really makes this city and the game feel truly unique is the music. Konami really knocked it out of the park, creating one of the most memorable soundtracks that I have heard in any video game. The music is just as important as the visuals in creating this world, if not more so. It's always the first thing that comes up when I think about Snatcher. It's a shame that despite being such a great game, few people have played it, even among Kojima fans unfortunately i don't think that it's ever going to change given how old it is it's niche genre and how hard it can be to get the game running i think Snatcher's status will always be that of a neglected neglect i think Snatcher's status will always be that of a neglected classic but one that i urge any kojima metal gear or cyberpunk fans to play i
0: guarantee you won't regret it excellent thank you very much uh, daniel for that um yeah, just I, I think this next, uh, this next post sums it up nicely to say that he kind of uh, covered all bases when it comes to the, the two portions of his post that have been read out. Um, Brad, would you care to, uh, to read Mike Ledy83's uh, input, please?
3: Absolutely. Uh, Mike Ledy says, Tadinio has summed up the game better than I ever could. To echo those thoughts, it's just such a vibrant game that can't be described in any better way than watching that intro. Its pure energy will be enough to push you down the path to playing this classic. It can be quiet at times, and its mechanics might be approaching the point where the game feels outdated. But it won't abuse your time investment. For the relatively short duration, there's so much imagination. A large collection of screens I'd gladly label as being iconic. A lovable cast, and possibly even an unlisted editor who kept Kojima on point at almost all (laughs) times. (laughs) I'm still partial to reading up on all the different versions annually visit the Junker HQ website to see the wealth of justifiably brilliant merchandise that I'll never be rich enough to afford, and every so often I'll stare at that folder on my desktop for SD Snatcher, which I'm not sure would enrich or break my existing memories of the franchise. There's a depth to this game that I appreciate, and I think it would appeal to so many people. If you're thinking of playing a blast from the past and one of the shorter but more concise visual novels out there, this is your chance.
0: Yeah, really nice post, and I think you'd you'd more than justified uh, adding to what Tadino said um, yeah thank you very much for the posts uh, if, if you want to email us as well it's worth saying that our email address has changed recently the past few episodes uh, you'll have probably been informed that it's now podcast at com. so if you don't want to hop on the forums please do contact us there and we'll uh, try to get your uh, your views on the, uh, the game in, uh, in question Onto the show um, so we uh, solicited some three reviews and as is kind of durrigger for podcasts that I'm hosting um, we were uh, a little short on responses but it's not surprising <laughs> given uh, how difficult this game is to get hold of and uh, and potentially you know how difficult it is to play uh, if, if you're not expecting the type of game it is uh, so uh, we'll read through the list thank you very much uh, one and all for your uh, responses to at cane and Rince uh, on our recording day we solicit Uh, Reviews of games in three words. So, Sean, could you kick us off, please?
1: Yep. Sean Hall says Early Kojima Brilliance.
0: Daniel Gomez says Neo Kobe Pizza.
3: Darren Gargett says Neo Kobe Bryant.
0: (laughs) 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 Slow Beef says
1: Needs a Sequel. And Thief of Hearts says Needs Modern Re-Release.
0: There we go. Uh, Thank you very much. And just on the Neo Kobe pizza uh, topic, there are a couple of uh, different articles, uh, people making and reviewing Neo Kobe pizzas, which for uh, the uninitiated is a pizza slice turned upside down into a bowl of soup uh, and sent (laughs) to the bottom. uh, And and the idea is it should float to the top and you eat it, um, which sounds awesome. And apparently by the, the accounts of those reviews is in fact awesome. So our summaries of the game. Uh, this this can be whether you'd recommend people play it or just your feelings on the game. Sean, how about kicking us off, please? Um,
1: I recommend people play it. I just don't know how they're going to do it. <laughs> it's uh, I love Snatcher, and I I am totally aware that it has so many faults, especially playing it, especially if you're going to play it for the first time. Um, these days, you know, it's going to be a little difficult to get into. And there's, as we said earlier, some certainly uh, questionable material in there, but that's kind of comes with the territory with Kojima. Um, But I just, the characters are so memorable, and the dialogue, and the cheesiness, and the music, and everything just kind of comes together. And it's, even though it's very derivative of other stories and other movies and everything, it's just, it certainly sets itself out and it's got its own charm. And um, I think it's super memorable, and uh, people would really enjoy it if they can. You know, there's there's emulators out there. That's pretty much the only way most people are going to try to play it. So that's I'd recommend people give it a shot. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Um, for for my part, um, I'd always intended to uh, to seek this game out. I just didn't know how I was going to do it. Um, th- having the opportunity and 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 going back and playing this game, um, I'm probably more forgiving of some of its its frailties as as a game. Um, Possibly that's to do with the time. Possibly it's just that I think, like like you said, Brad, I, I I tend to be happy to stick with some mechanics that maybe aren't quite working or or plot holes if I feel that the characters, the world, or the story are pulling me in in some way that I find interesting. Um, this has a lot of homages to stuff that I enjoy. You know, stuff like Cowboy Bebop, Ghost in the Shell, um, Blade Runner, Terminator would be among some of my favourites. You know favorite pieces of uh, art or entertainment that that i have enjoyed um and and this evokes a lot of that it also evokes some games from when i was you know six to ten years old uh and the fact that it does so uh in a way that appealed to me narratively appealed to me tonally it made me remember its music which is as sean's pointed out is is a not common thing um I really enjoyed sinking into this game, playing it. Uh, it certainly has frailties and the kind of fire everything approach, uh, helps in terms of not getting, you know, stuck. If you just do everything and do it seven times, you'll be all right throughout the game. Uh, it doesn't necessarily lend itself to, uh, a modern flow, uh, be it narrative or mechanic, but, uh, there's a there's a lot here I found to love I've got to say and uh, and it was more than worth putting up with the hoops I had to jump through uh, to to play this game I would recommend it for anyone who's interested in Hideo Kojima's work or interested in some of those things I've I've previously mentioned in terms of cyberpunk and sci-fi uh, influences um, yeah for for a game that doesn't it's not a powerhouse in terms of graphics it does a lot of things to to overcome that in terms of a really fantastic aesthetic. Uh, that I was surprised by, got to say. Um, okay, Brad, could you give us your summary, please?
3: Well, um, Snatcher has been my favorite game for a long time, like my, my absolute favorite game of all time. But, you know, to be honest, I haven't come back to it in quite a while, so I thought this was a great opportunity to revisit it. And having done that, I have to say that it's not my favorite game anymore. I think a lot of that has to do with just the actual mechanics. I think um, just clicking through the menus, I had a lot of frustration and irritation. Um, so that was a little bit disappointing to find but that aside if you sit down with this with an FAQ and follow it uh, to the letter and like James just said do everything seven times when you get stuck (laughs) I think there's a lot to love about this game I think that even though it's not my favorite I think it's always going to have a place of honor with me Um, it's just about the characters it's about Metal, it's about Gillian it's like the quintessential buddy flick put into a (laughs) game format And, and especially at the time that it came out it was just so revolutionary for me anyway Um, I think the voice acting is still great I think the music is fantastic I think it still looks great Um, I think you know this was like the first time that I'd ever seen a cutscene of such enormous length I mean we didn't really touch on it very much but the ending is basically Mm. 45 minutes long of nothing but pure (laughs) cutscene and at that time that was like unbelievable (laughs) like it was like a thing that you just did not even comprehend of course Kojima's like outdone himself since then but you know at the time that was really something worth talking about um it's, it's a really good experience i mean i think if you put the kojima isms aside and if you're forgiving of a plot hole if you want to just look at what it does well it still does all that stuff really well and i'm struggling to think of another game that does it equally as well um, so even though it's a little outdated a little bit frustrating and really difficult to actually sit down and play i definitely think it's well worth it for kojima fans or fans who really like strong character writing in terms of personality and humor So I still love it uh, very dearly. I'm never going to not love it, but uh, you should track it down. Just be prepared for a couple of bumps along the way.
0: Excellent. Thank you very, very much. Uh, Carl, would you care to to bring the the house down, as it were?
2: It's one of those things, you know, since I, I mentioned I read about this game when Metal Gear Solid was coming out and then I played Metal Gear Solid and I absolutely adored that game and I always intended to play it and um, I, I first started chatting to Brad many years ago on, on Twitter now and I've followed his blog for a long time and it always used to be there in in his little side column on the right of his of his favourite games. And It was always thinking, I must play this <laughs> game and I eventually did it on the emulator and then when we finally had it come up for the podcast I was so ex- totally excited to be on it because it gave me that reason to, to go through the game and it falls in line with... I mean many people know me as a fan of shooters or sports games which is really weird because as a child my favourite genre was like the point and click adventure Um, and the only reason it isn't these days is that they're so rarely put out there now at least with any quality so to go back and play a game that essentially has that at its core just with a different mechanism for selecting your options was really enjoyable for me um it I played as much of it as I possibly could without a guide, which I don't necessarily know if that's a good thing or a bad thing that I actually needed a guide. Um, It falls in line with that it's neither easy nor entirely straightforward um, and at times downright illogical. But the overall charm of the game wins over any of the negative side effects that I can give it. Some of the the conversations that I had... um, amongst characters or with Metal Gear or some of the little observations that I made, the, the little fourth wall breaking, um, the not taking itself too seriously. The fact that it's it's so clearly based upon my very favourite movie but yet never tries to right the so-called wrongs of, of that film or better it or even ignore that it ever existed. It just revels in the fact that that film's there and it was a massive influence and for me that is the best homage you can get and and snatcher absolutely revels in that fact you know terminator exists this game doesn't try and hide it it doesn't full-out copy it but the influences are absolutely unmistakable um you know we've mentioned numerous times on this that the characters are the game's strongest point and, and they absolutely are and there are a few down points um that are a little bit jarring, a little bit hard to understand um, why they're there, but they are. Um, They're they're not overly overt or constant throughout the game. I mean, I think the game took me about eight and a half hours, and that was with a chunk of it with a guide, so it it is quite a long game, relatively. I didn't really understand all the the mentioning of it being a short game. It's considerably longer than many and clicks that we all know. Um, Yeah. And whilst I found it it was actually quite a relatively long game, the little bits that we've been quite down on in this podcast, and in my opinion, rightfully so, take up the smallest fraction of that. I mean, maybe five to ten minutes total, but they are jarring enough to remember. But the other parts of this game that are absolutely positive, for me, far outweigh that you know it, it it's all the things that that I love and so many other people love about that 80s cheese are in this game it is like like we said the quintessential buddy movie it it has that fantastically striking unmistakable 80s music <laughs> um It doesn't take itself serious in the least (laughs) at times, and just when the moment when you think it is getting serious, it does something to right that and make you laugh. And I seldom laugh at games, and there were moments, whether right or wrong, that I laughed at this game. Um, The little touches uh, are always the things that I think of when I think of Kojima games. The little Easter eggs, the little touches that didn't necessarily need to be there, but were put in there due to uh, the, the love and care put in over that game they're all in there the little hidden phone numbers that you can phone up on your video phone you can phone Konami headquarters and get a message back thanking you for buying the game <laughs> and, why, and the reasons that they were so proud of it with their, with the, you know, the conversations with the characters and the, the hope that you fall in love with the characters as much as they enjoyed writing them the fact that if you search uh, Jordan you can search for the, almost the entirety of the development team including Hideo Kojima who says that he's so proud that the game has finally crossed the waters mm-hmm. and that he hopes other countries will enjoy it as much as he enjoyed making it. You know, the the little references to the other Konami characters, which obviously weren't there originally, but are better for having them. Um, it has a legacy for a reason. It does so many things right. And it's only now in 2014 that we can look at it and say that that could have been done better, this could have mm. been done better, that's not right, that wouldn't be acceptable. You've sort of got to give it a bit of leeway. You know, this is not a modern game. It could quite easily be ported onto modern systems. I mentioned earlier it would be ideal for a 3DS system. It would need a little bit of reworking, maybe some work to the graphics, and preferably some stuff cut out of it. Um, You know, as is the case with pretty much every Kojima (laughs) product ever. Um, But it's still completely doable. Best of all, the game is still completely relevant. It's almost a quarter of a century old. In fact, it is a quarter Mm -hmm. of a century old. And it's still absolutely relevant to so many things now. You can see why it's an influence uh, and why it was such an influence when it was released. Because, as Sean mentioned, as as Brad mentioned, they can't remember anything like this at the time. Mm-hmm. It, it came at a period where arcade games were so strong, and we were playing games like, you know, we'd been playing games like Pac Man and, and Street Fighter was coming. In and this completely altered that it, it came on a, a system which unfortunately was you know so poorly selling that you know like it's, I've never managed to actually play on one in the flesh mm-hmm. but it tried to completely change the way that games were told it was a text based adventures but it, it it was combined with a graphic novel and it had elements of essential point and click and it, it, you know you you were a detective and you were a a special agent taking out robots. It had all the things to make it so awesomely cool in 1994, and it's impossible to sort of overlook that and ignore it now Mm. because it just brings me back to being a kid and how much I would have enjoyed it then. The downside, of course, is how hard it is to access it. I'm, I'm never going to openly promote emulation because it's something that I don't abide. I don't like it, but sadly... For this title, it's pretty much the only way you're going to get your hands on it. There are not many copies of it, and it costs a fortune. Even if one comes up, um, so if you ever want to try it,
0: go for it because uh, it, it's a pretty enjoyable thrill ride. Thank you very much. That was a, a wonderful closing to uh, to our feelings on the uh, on the game on Snatcher. Um, I've got to say thank you to you all. Sean, Carl, and Brad, would you care to plug uh, where people may find you on the internet if they would like to hear you talk more about things other than Snatcher?
3: Um, You can find me at my blog. I'm at drinkingcoffeecola.blogspot.com. I used to update pretty often, a little less often now that we're getting into the silly season of review games, but I still hit it at least once a week, so if you want something extra to read, come see me there. You can read all of my regular stuff at gamecritics.com. And I am on Twitter pretty much nonstop. so if you want something <laughs> in your timeline that's uh, mostly games, but I need to talk about food and a bunch of random crap too, um, you can follow me uh, at Brad Galloway and it's G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. There's no O's in my name. And that's where you can find me.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much for uh, being with us. It's uh, it's wonderful to get you on and for a game that obviously means so much to you. Uh, it's been fantastic to hear about When it originally came out. Absolute Um,
3: pleasure, absolute pleasure. Thank you guys all
0: so much for having me on. Oh, no, it's it's, it's our pleasure equally. Pleasure to be had on all quarters, I would say. Next time, uh, it will be issue 143. Tony will be bringing his considerable horticultural experience to bear as he marshals a gang of guerrilla gardeners through Viva Piñata Trouble in Paradise. Uh, in the meantime i would like to dedicate this closing music and the podcast to cyberpunks who fight against injustice and corruption every day of their lives thank you very much we will see you next time